Bonzilla presents Star Trek. Each week we warp speed into the world of Star Trek. This week, Kirk, Spock, and the original Enterprise crew return with fresh young faces and a rising star director. It's 2009's Star Trek. Hello, everybody. Once again, welcome to Bondzilla Presents. I am Nick. I'm Will. And we are back to our uh, two new, uh, our new series. Our, well, really, um, our second of the series. Our first of the I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. Um, I, we're, we're back to the regularly scheduled Bondzilla uh, Presents, as it were. We're back. We, we did talk about No Time to Die, finally, that that Daniel Craig monkey is off of our back and you can go listen to that episode and that review uh, if you would like. And now you can listen to every single Bond and Godzilla movie reviewed by us, uh, movies and specifically. But we are back on the Star Trek train today and back uh, for a very uh, interesting uh, sort of transition uh, for us in, in this Star Trek series. Um. And I'm sure we'll talk about our sort of memories of, of this film, but we were talking about the first uh, of the J.J. Abrams series, the first Calvin timeline film, uh, and the first uh, Star Trek film that uh, is not really in that original set of films. The, the, the original, uh, original series films and the Next Generation films obviously all take place in a, a single sort of ongoing continuity, but this is the first Star Trek film that is essentially sort of a reboot or reimagining of the of the franchise which you know we've gotten to see on a couple of different fronts on this podcast through bond through godzilla and uh definitely a number of times in our king kong sort of series of films but it's it's very it's gonna be very interesting to discuss this particular film and and again just like talking about going back to talk about like kind of casino royale and and those types of films sort of like what an influence this had on this particular franchise yeah i think what's going to be what's really interesting about this movie is that it's such an under not underrated in terms of the quality of the film but like just underrated in terms of like people i feel like it's a secret touchstone movie that people don't realize is like a touchstone movie i would agree actually there's so many angles to to it just from blockbuster filmmaking and like not only for us personally but just for movies in general because there was like i have so many just stories culturally personally approaching this movie and remembering this movie but at the same time there's so many other layers to it like it you get into the reboot remake reimagining conversation you get into the revitalization of trek you get into the jj abrams career like uh Mm -hmm. like conversation and so many things and so many conversations that we're still having today i feel like still pivot back to this movie in a weird way like like it's one of those movies where you know how we talk about how like 
2008, like the Dark Knight and Iron um, Man, and Iron Man uh, were like the two movies that really like launched like where movies were going to go in, in one sense. I almost feel like Trek 09, which is what I call it, is like it has just as much cultural film value. And I would make that argument. I would, I, you know what? I was literally about to say, mention the same thing. We and I, we've talked about this podcast too, like that importance of like the 2008 sort of year in film and, and how it really has shaped where we are now. But I, I really do feel that this Trek movie, you're, you're very much right in terms of when you see other franchise revitalizations and sort of what this movie does with Trek, you really see that in a number of other franchises going forward too. Well, it's going to be interesting and then going to the next one because it's kind of like a one-two punch with like all the film conversations we have kind of come down to the Abrams Star Treks in a weird way. <laughs> yeah, I, I I wasn't, I didn't want to get ahead of myself, but I, I was thinking a lot about Into Darkness in comparison to, you know, Abrams, some of his other work. And it's going to be very interesting to revisit that movie, but that's not the movie we're revisiting today. We no, are no, no. Star it, Trek 2009. It, it's just more that like, it, it is really funny that like, we have enjoyed the Star Trek films up until this point in one one way shape form or the other but like i i in a weird way and i know trek fans would probably hate this but like i don't want to say influential but the abrams kelvin timeline uh trek films have had quite the stamp on everything for better or for worse yeah no i mean i i think that is you can't deny that and it's very much you know no, it's very much like culturally this this movie is such a touchstone. And I think we'll, when we talk about its production a little bit, we'll kind of get into that was definitely not necessarily being a touchstone as a focus, but a lot of the stuff they focused on resulted in being that touchstone. And I mean, to be frank, like and we can kind of say this like right now, part of that intention of the group of people making this movie was to kind of widen that Trek scope because you know, the Trek movies had always done well, but the one thing about them, even, you know, the most successful of them, there was always this sort of like either story around them or sort of a perception that like, well, it's really, you know, the hardcore Trek fans really make that move. And then a couple of other people see the movie. And a lot of people would go back to why was the Voyage Home the most successful Trek movie of all time up until, you know, this one. That was because, you know, the comedy angle kind of broadened it to, a more wider audience. And I think that this movie definitely made it made Trek bigger in some respects. It well, made it made kind of Trek more of in that blockbuster realm than I think that previous movies had uh from a culture from a from a wider general audience standpoint. Yeah, I think that the big thing that we have to remember too is like like I, I had just mentioned Dark Knight and Iron Man and we haven't quite got to Avengers yet. Like, this is just the next year. So we're still not quite in the nerd era yet. No. In fact, we're still in the era where, in a weird way, this Trek movie is still novel in the sense that, like, it's still kind of like, for lack of a better term, it's still kind of special that, like, they're going to be like, oh, they're going to make a new 
Trek movie and they're going to revitalize it. Mm-hmm. Like you can't really, you don't really have that attention now. And it's not that you wouldn't welcome it, but if somebody told you like, we're going to, we're going to do a new, like, I, I don't know. Like what's a, like, what's like a go-to name director. Oh no. It's like, it's like if Taika, like Taika is going to do Flash Gordon, let's say. Yeah. And then he's like, oh, Taika's going to do a Flash Gordon movie. Now you would look forward to it, but you're like, well, of course. Like, of course they're going to get some, like we live in the nerd era. Like it's 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 only a matter of time before they say they're going to give this a fresh spin or a fresh take. At the time when this was coming out, this was kind of like, all right, like let's like, you know, let's get the, let's get ready. Like we're we're about to like unleash and revitalize something new. Like the, just the whole energy and approach to it what it was a little bit more novel at the time than it is. Yeah. It wasn't as expected, I should say. And it's also fairly interesting to really consider, especially where sort of our reboot, you know, reimagining kind of, um, you know, like a sequel era that we live in as well. Now where I think what's funny about mm-hmm. go- going back to this movie and kind of seeing how it kind of does the, it kind of mixes that up together. It's like, mm-hmm. we're doing a reboot with like a younger cast but this is also the legacy sequel where we're bringing back, you know, you know, we're bringing back Harrison Ford. We're bringing back, you know, Leonard Nimoy. We're bringing back uh, the old Ghostbusters again. You know, that sort of idea where it's like it's kind of like a best of both worlds type of scenario, at least in, in production and in theory. Now, what's interesting about it, though, too, is like and you kind of had alluded to it, like Star Trek at this point, it it, it, it is. It is funny how Star Trek, it did really become the niche nerd thing. Like, it has a cultural impact, but it was that thing where it's, like, synonymous with going to Comic-Cons and cosplay and dressing up. Like, it was, but that was the level that it was at. Like, it it was kind of one of those things where a lot of people say, like, that was Star, like, some people would argue, like, that's Star Trek domain, like, that real big, thriving nerd community, and then... But like Star Wars was always like the movie franchise that made millions of dollars and everybody went to go see yeah, it. Everybody and everybody knew about it. And, right, and it was like, you know, Star Trek was associated with like the big space battles and the big action and the big twists and turns and like the the drama of like, I am your father. Whereas like Trek not, not only had that sort of, you know, well, connected with the with the Comic-Con scene and like the cosplay scene, but you know, Trek was always like the, the stereotype around Trek fans was that they were like the math nerds. They were the like, you know, and they, that was what Trek was. It was more of like the real actual sci-fi nerdiness, whereas like Star Wars mm-hmm. still had that kind of sci-fi through a blockbuster lens, which, you know, obviously yeah. has its own influence. So um, and that obviously but, gets, there's a lot of discussion around that with this movie, particularly, too. Well, what I was going to say is that, so what I was leading to, and maybe this is something you can remind me of, but what was interesting about it, and maybe I was too young at the time, and frankly, I didn't know enough about Trek. Because I've I've often said, like, now I get all the compliments and criticisms to all old and recent Trek, just because I'm I'm a little bit more, I I just can, I understand where people are, where the real fans are. I should say the more devoted fans are coming from. But I I just, I remember because even the remake reboot thing was like a, a contentious talking point in just movies in general at the time. But this one kind of seemed like 
I don't know. Like, it seemed like there was anticipation for it. Like, I don't remember a real backlash to they're going to kind of reboot it for the movies. It's going to be younger versions of the cast because we also didn't know really what how that was going to work. Yeah. The plot line, Mm -hmm. if I remember correctly. But I don't know. I just remember that there was some welcoming of and maybe it's because there are different. I don't know. Maybe it's an, an instance where there just hadn't been a movie. And it's like this is the chance for a big revitalization. So people seem to welcome the idea. Of yeah. And, and I think, and we'll, we'll kind of talk about this in a second, sort of when we talk about general production stuff, but I think the, the issue with the way that Trek had been structured uh, in terms of doing a new movie was just the fact that, you know, it's not as if they were going to make an, you know, Star Trek enterprise movie. They'd kind of run out of the show to actually do. And as much as people like the next generation and as much as now the next generation has become in many ways, just as iconic in its own different realm as the original series. At this point, the original series was still what people knew most about mm. Trek. Like people, yes, Picard, Data, Warp. Yeah, everybody. you maybe knew Next Generation, right? And, but and like because those none of the were, other ones were successful. But like the general consensus of Trek was, oh, you know, the original Shatner. series, Shatner, and, and, yeah, and McCoy, yeah, yeah. and that whole group, and so the Green Lady. <laughs> Yeah. It is kind of funny when you watch this movie, it really does, which again is a topic that for better or for worse, you'll see go forward. But it really did. This movie even touches base on like pretty much every, even if you were a novice Trek in your knowledge, yeah. like you just like, you're like, oh, that's that. And that's I think, that thing from the Trek. <laughs> and I think what's been interesting to note as well, and this will be a good lead in, into talking about kind of the further production of the film especially for Trek fans, right? There is some trepidation just in the sense of like, okay, you know, these characters are extremely iconic and to just put new people in those roles to do the younger things. But again, like the hardcore Treks knew that this idea had been on the table pretty much since the movies were being made, that they were, there was always a concept like, okay, we'll do the young, you know, the Academy years, the young Trek, you know, see these characters, even like, Roddenberry had said it back in the 70s that like, oh, this was an idea to consider even for Mm -hmm. a television show or movie. So the very concept of them actually kind of like rebooting slash or like doing these characters with new performers was never like off the table from moment one of these movies being made. It just was very a very different experience to have sort of like, you know, sort of a, a new continuity, you know, even though it is and isn't. And, and that's something we'll definitely talk about, that kind of controversy around that. Yeah. But that's a little trepidation, but also it's just excitement because there hadn't been, you know, this was the longest gap between Star Trek movies, seven years, and the fact that there was no Trek at all. You know, after Enterprise was canceled in 2005, there was nothing on the horizon for the Star Trek franchise, nothing new, you know, novels here and there, maybe a video game, but no new stuff. Oh, yeah, because it wasn't like... Because at least we had talked about when they were making the Trek movies originally, like you did have Next Generation going on in a similar time frame where it really was like the only Trek that really like only you you had to really be following. It was the sci-fi show that you had to be following. And then that is about as much of a cultural footprint at the time there was. So Mm -hmm. it's like and again, it's that's even different than. Star Wars, which 
you know, I guess, you know, didn't have movies going on, but was still really thriving in my point, like just like toys, cartoons, like everything. Like it, it's oh. like, it never went away where I would assume that like, this was everybody's like, we're bringing Trek back to you. Yes. What this movie was essentially. Yeah. 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 I, I did want to, I did kind of, because we were talking about the reboot nature and I didn't know where you wanted to start. I do want to kind of mention just the general reboot and the casting of it. But I didn't know where you wanted to start with behind the scenes. Um, I think we'll kind of get into kind of how this movie came, just like the, the general uh, consent, uh, you know, process, because mm-hmm. that does lead a lot into what the casting is. And I think the, the one thing to start was the fact that there wasn't a Star Trek thing on the horizon after, you know, Nemesis. We kind of talked about last time Nemesis, you know, everybody kind of knew it felt like the last one, even though a lot of the core creatives were kind of planning the possibility of doing a last, you know, uh, undiscovered country-esque version of, you know, a, a last next generation movie. Mm-hmm. But once, you know, Nemesis bombed at the box office, that was it. And the, the thing was, is that, you know, there were ideas on the table sort of at that point, maybe doing it. The Academy years kind of was was brought up again. There was also kind of a. a another... Oh, can I can I wait? Um, I'm, I'm going to forget this point, so I'm sorry to interrupt. But go ahead. You saying this actually reminded me of something and it's not quite as bad. But I know another reason why I do think that there was some anticipation. And I think that this was like this was a more novel time to do these types of reboots. And I think that was because we're not that far off from the Nolan Batman movies. So yes, there was that's still, very true. There was still a level of well, I mean, and Casino Revi- Royale, and Casino, and Casino Royale, Royale yeah. yeah. So it's like there was a level of, and the reason I thought about that because Batman had a similar, like they had a movie that basically, like, quote unquote, killed the franchise. Like you're not going to get one for a while. So now we're going to bring it back to you. And there was still, I feel like, some goodwill that. You know, because even like those original teasers were kind of dope. Like it's like, you know, they you could tell that they were making it an experience and it was a big deal. They just weren't like pop. They just weren't like pushing out another one. So there I think there there was still some goodwill to the like, we're going to reboot this, this high profile thing with a name that was pretty favorable at the time. Yes. Yeah. 100 percent. Uh, so what I'm mentioning is that there were some considerations of doing like the sort of a, a prequel thing um, even before, you know, the kind of, you know, uh, this idea came up. Um, the Last of Shepard from original series, you know, the, the, at that time, current producer of the Star Trek franchise, Rick Berman. Uh, they came up with a concept, uh, Star, Star Trek The Beginning, which was set like with Kirk's ancestor and talked about the Earth-Romulan War. But Basically, at that point, like everything was just off the table and Trek was kind of like, you know, a fresh start, especially considering that at this point, Viacom separated from the CBS Corporation. So Viacom owned Paramount. CBS retained the rights at this point to kind of the Star Trek because it was still through their Desilu and through the TV stuff. So there was kind of a split and there was a kind of a question as well. as like, well, will we, we, we get ever any Star Trek stuff? So as the split was happening, um, uh, president of Paramount, Gail Berman, who we have to mention has no relation to Rick. Rick Berman is completely off the series at this point. Talks to the people at Viacom and CBS and and comes up with an agreement to like, okay, let's keep track here at Paramount to do a new movie. 
We'll take some time to figure it out and we'll, we'll kind of make this work. So Gail Berman, her first thing is we need a solid creative team on this movie. We need a solid team to figure out what we can do with Trek. Cause again, nobody really had like a really solid idea what to do. And Berman was looking at what Paramount was doing at the time and decided to go with the same team that had just made one of their more successful films, that film being mission impossible three. It's, it's kind of funny because it's really interesting how mission impossible, like this modern version of Mission impossible and star Trek kind of get intertwined because, you know, Mission Impossible 2 is kind of happening because of the success of the Star Trek films. And they bring in those, you know, Star Trek writers from the Next Generation films. And now it's that opposite, that the Mission Impossible franchise has become the golden goose of Paramount. Uh, And so now they're looking to this Mission Impossible team to bring in, you know, the, 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 the bring back Star Trek to being that upper echelon. So, of course... This means first bringing on the writing team of Roberto Orsi and Alex Kurtzman, who we all know from history now have, have a very uh, and continue to have a very interesting legacy in terms of how, you know, they have shaped the world of superhero blockbuster cinema. Their, their hands are still all over everything. And from there as well, they also bring in, Director of Mission Impossible 3, Mr. J.J. Abrams. Now, we got to remember at this point, right? Abrams was Abrams was a true rising star at this point. If we remember, <laughs> well, if we remember, if we remember the history, we talked about this a little bit in our Mission Impossible episode, but this Abrams got that Mission Impossible 3 job because Cruz had binged Alias and liked Alias mm-hmm. and like was like, okay, I like this Abrams guy. Let's bring him on board, right? So, it's again, it's interesting because we've talked about the legacy of this movie. And I think it's important to note that obviously this is a big time thing for Abrams' career, but again, like the, the, the core writing team of Mission Impossible 3 and this movie, uh, Orsi and Kurtzman, like, like I said, like their hands are still all over the history of blockbuster cinema. Even to this day, they're still doing like they still have their hands in so many cookie jars. Uh, both of them are still involved with the Star Trek franchise at this point. They've made mm-hmm. Spider-Man. They've done they've they've had a heck of a career. And a lot of it is based on sort of this team up from Mission Impossible 3 going into this. You know, what's funny is that Abrams to me is like. Oh, man, it, he he kind of is like the blockbuster version of M. Night Shyamalan in, in the sense that could you name like somebody who was so like who was really liked like and it was like people really got excited about his name. And then and then eventually as the career goes, it wasn't like it got bad, but it got a very his name became very complicated like in his yes. involvement and things like, but it's just funny because you do remember that much like, like M. Night, people saying M. Night Shyamalan was like the next Spielberg. And then, you know, and then, you know, and then he had like a little bit of a slump, I would say, and then kind of went back to kind of like leveling out and I think being awesome at what he does. And then, you know, I don't think Abrams, listen, here's what I say. I do think that 
Abrams has kind of become like this weird cultural touchstone where, you know, a lot of the reaction to him is performative and kind of more memeable than genuine mm-hmm. at this point. But there was a point when that was a selling point. J.J. Abrams. And just just what an interesting career. <laughs> like, it's just interesting to remember that and then there be and i know some people who look back on that and they're like oh my god i can't believe we thought about him this way and you know so and there's other people who are kind of you know still in his corner i i guess and it, it's just it's just really interesting but but all that said but even at the time because his name was also synonymous with a bunch of other weird stuff because it wasn't like he did like people knew him as like he made these great movies. It was more of like, he is creatively involved and in charge of all these other projects that we loved. Yeah, I mean- like he, gotta, was the lo- he, he was the lost guy for a little bit. Right, like he, he just, what, directed the pilot, I think. And then, you know, that was his whole thing. And obviously like Abrams brings in like, you know, obviously like he worked with uh, Gertzman and Orsi on, uh, on Mission Impossible 3. Uh, oh my it, god, sorry. I just looked up JJ Abrams and the first pe- people also ask. And the first question is, what is JJ Abrams most famous for? <laughs> <laughs> what? And uh I was also gonna mention that uh Abrams also brings on his, you know, uh friend from Lost, David Lindelof, uh to do work on this film as well. Lindelof is a producer and does some uncredited rewrites on the script as well. Now, I mean, this is one of the more famous stories about Abrams on this movie, but Abrams was not well, you know, new Trek, but wasn't familiar with Trek. Uh, he he had Yeah, yeah. Had, so the he had said specifically that as a kid, he was always more of a Star Wars person. Um, and- right. And that's one of those things that that does kind of in the history of this movie get blown up into this. J.J. doesn't like Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Like and and that's one of those things where I always say it's performative. That being said, the fact that he was not really a Star Trek person, but more of a Star Wars person did does kind of paint even this movie in a, in a light, not in a bad light, I think, yeah. but in a very interesting light of where this is like, but to me, this is like the good version of Roland Emmerich, not being a Godzilla fan. Like, you know what I mean? That's like not a it, bad way to put it. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, it, it's yeah. Oh, cause the, the, the thing that Abrams has talked about a little bit more, even around this time and later. And one of the things he did say was, and, and this was also in his initial discussions with Lindelof, Kurtzman and Orsi is that this, he felt that the series had gotten so far away from its the original, what it originally was, mm-hmm. in the sense of the original cast and those characters, because that's what Abrams knew. And Abrams had considered everything past that to not be bad work, but to be kind of like sci-fi shows that are have the title Star Trek, but they're not Star Trek. Star yeah. Trek is Kirk and Spock and McCoy. And- Star Trek and name only is right. what they felt it was. Yeah, right. And so the idea always was with this crew was, OK, we're going to do something with the original crew, the original characters of the series. And it was Ortsy and Kurtzman that always had from moment one, they were on board that a time travel element was going to be involved. That was always on the table from day one. It was going to be with the original series characters, and there was going to be some time travel nonsense that made the movie happen. Um, but I will say this, and I found this very interesting, especially so with some of the 
discussion around the film among Trek fans and sort of, again, what happens in this movie and also later movies in this sort of era. But Kurtzman uh, and Orsi were also said, yes, we're time traveling, we're shifting the timeline, but we also do want to make this like an actual prequel. We don't want it to be like completely change everything. We want this to be like slight differences in how these characters kind of interact, but these are as if like this was a prequel. These characters are kind of coming up. And one of the things they did, they looked to the Star Trek novels and the Star Trek, like all, you know, non-canon, like sort of material to kind of bring in a little bit more backstory to the characters like Kirk and Spock uh, and uh, McCoy. Like for example, the the little line about McCoy going through a divorce was actually from an unused script of season three of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And a lot of like stuff about, you know, Spock's childhood that we see uh, is from alternate Star Trek novels as well. So they tried to kind of bring in a lot of still, still make it feel like the original series, even if they were going to do some tinkering with the mm-hmm. history, that was kind of their, their main deal. They wanted to still have that prequel feel to it. Um, so at first, you know, Abrams wasn't going to direct a movie. He was just going to produce it through Bad Robot and sort of like kind of have that. It's the same thing that he had with like stuff with Lost and stuff like that, sort of that producer side of him. Um, but it was his uh, wife at the time that that said, you really like the script. You think it's really good. So why not just direct it? And Abrams had one of those common director things you hear, which is like he's sort of thought about someone else having the the benefit of doing this and sort of being lucky enough to do a script this good mm. so he's like well i might as well just do it and and and, and go for it and chris Orson said like their whole pitch was they wanted a script that would impress a casual star trek fan they wanted to bring a larger audience to the Star Trek world because they, they did like Trek, you know, Orsi was not as big of a fan. Kurtzman was a little bit more of a fan. It kind of that middle ground of like, we are kind of bringing in a lot of the details of Trek, but we're also expanding this to a wider audience. They felt that they felt that Abrams was going to be the best director to bring that, bring that out. Yeah. Um, and, and then the previous movie that he did mission possible three, you know, I, I mean, and it even stands as like, you know, a, a it's a solid blockbuster and people enjoyed it. And um, at least from what I remember and um, it, it, and it even just feels like one of those movies where it's like, okay, you did that. Like you can get like a, you can get a star Trek. Right. And then Abrams also, you know, wanted to do, wanted to take advantage of the fact they were going to have a pretty big budget for this movie and said that he wanted to make it like a modern look, but also kind of capture what the original series like could have and would have done with money with this much money that he still wanted to kind of showcase like different worlds and aliens and everything like that, that the original series couldn't do. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that, I think it's time to talk a little bit about the cast um, mm-hmm. because it's important that a lot of this is kind of interwoven with sort of the cast uh, and, and the writing process. So um, I know you were eager to talk about it. So, yeah, so no, it's an interesting thing about the cast because again, I don't quite remember or recall or was in tune to really what the reaction was, but I, I do remember for me personally, as somebody who was only f- like kind of surface level familiar with the cast and the, like what the original 
uh, show was like. But I knew it well enough to be like, when they casted people, I'm like, oh yeah, that works. But I just remember like when the cast came out, I was like getting excited. And I was like, oh, and th- it's just fun that like this new cast and crew of actors get to inhabit like these roles in a way that really nobody else had, like there hadn't been another Spock. There hadn't been another uh, um, um, Kirk. And maybe it's because I wasn't as attached to that stuff. There was some fun to be had in that. And it's interesting to me because you either don't do that anymore. And it's funny because this wasn't that long ago, but Mm -hmm. you either don't do that anymore or doing it has become really contentious and it's gotten even more contentious with, I mean, with the whole like de-aging thing going on and the whole like, I mean, think about what, think about like, sorry, go ahead. Well, we've been, I mean, I've seen this kind of conversation has come up about sort of the recent use of Luke Skywalker in the Mandalorian Mm -hmm. and it's various, you know, related spinoffs where, you know, there's, there's a whole debate of just like, you know, using sort of the CG technology versus if you just recast Luke at this point and just make someone else Luke. And it's hard because now you are, you are, you, everybody is kind of stuck in this. Um, we're, we're kind of between a rock and a hard place right now because like now so many materials are like, well, if you want to see like the younger version of this actor in the flashback, they just de-age the actor. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And then it's like, and because, and another thing too is I think because there is so, now the franchises are very long like, you know, in, um, these are just long franchises now. So there's not even that room to like recast. Like nobody wants to see it's the so, X-Men recast. Honestly, you know? this is, well, <laughs> I do. I wouldn't yeah. mind. But it's like, but it is funny because now it's like, it's like the preference now is like you just bring back people. And there was a bit of fun that I had. Like I kind of like that a new group of actors came in to inhabit the roles. Yeah. I think it's funny because I was. It's funny that you mentioned that sort of the de aging thing. Because what's so funny about that is, and this is I can't believe this is the first casting I'm talking about. But the reason that Winona Ryder is uh, Spock's mother in this movie, mm-hmm. and, and the reason that like she was cast so much younger than the the person who plays Sarek is because originally she was going to be involved in the flashback of of Spock's birth, the mirror Kirk's birth at the beginning of the movie. But then they cut that out. But they liked Winona Ryder so much they just kept her. Oh, that's in, funny. I in, do in, remember her, that. Yeah, in the role. So like, so it wasn't gonna again the same thing. It was just gonna be like now you would just cast an older actress and be like, oh, you're gonna da you for the birth scene mm-hmm. right like to kind of make that work or or your or opposite way they'll age you up for the other right scenes, you know? right it, um, it, it, it's really weird because i haven't really had that excitement of like because it almost felt like theater it felt like a play it's like and in this in this showing of uh star trek uh so and so is going to be this and so so there was fun to be had with that and then as it went on as you'll you'll talk about right now it, it was it was an exciting cast where it was like some people you weren't as familiar with. There were some people with nerd cred. Um, I don't know. It was just an exciting cast, I thought. Yeah. Uh, so let's start with Kirk himself. Uh, the uh, the ever interesting Chris Pine, who I've had a couple of interesting run ins with back at the going to D23s. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but but the, the young Pine, he was, you know, it's kind of still very fresh faced at this time. Um, and, uh, he described his first audition as awful and he was very fortunate Abrams wasn't in the room for it. 
uh, because uh, Pine himself said he, he didn't see himself as a leader, so he didn't bring that Kirk swagger mm-hmm. to to the audition. But Abrams was convinced that, you know, uh, is, uh, Pine's agent asked Abrams to have him for a second audition, and Pine came into the room with Zachary Quinto, who we'll definitely talk about, for a Kirk and Spock audition, and that's what, what got you know, Pine the role. Mm-hmm. Um, Pine, like with most of the cast, uh, you know, talking to their original, you know, the original versions of themselves if they could, uh, Pine sent a letter to William Shatner after he got cast and Shatner gave a, a nice approval letter back. And Pine was someone who wasn't necessarily original, you know, again, generally familiar with Trek and, and watched a lot of the original series. Um, and, one of the things he noted was he kind of stopped because he wanted to make it his own, but he was really taken in by the, the fact that like a lot of original Kirk is that mixture of humor and arrogance and, and sort of that deviousness that Kirk has, where if he knows he he's right about something, he's go to any lengths to make sure that like his version of events. So he, he took a lot of that, but he said he had to stop watching Trek because if he had, he felt like he would have taken a lot more of Shatner's vocal intonations, mm-hmm. which he didn't want to do because it would it would come off as parody. Like he didn't mm-hmm. want that. So instead, Pine used a lot of influence from Top Gun era Tom Cruise and uh, Indiana Jones. Sort of those characters influenced a lot of what he would take into to the Kirk role. Well, and then also, and this is kind of getting into the movie, which I won't get into too much, but the genius kind of, I would say the smart thing about the movie is like, there is an in-world reason to justify how he approaches it as well. Yes. Like when you think about it, as opposed to, you know, when we get to uh, Quinto as Spock or Quinto, however you say his name, it's like when you get to him as Spock, it's like, it's almost the opposite approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's talk about Zachary. Uh, I always call him Quinto. I didn't know yeah, if it was. Uh, I thought it was Quinto. I heard Quinto at some point, but I don't know. Yeah. I've always heard Zachary Quinto, but he is a uh, Spock. Um, and, and he was like the, ner- to me, the nerd cred. Right. Like, well, this was, this was thing, his first like casting. You know, this was his first major feature. Cause up to this point, he was known for uh, the ever interesting to talk about show heroes. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Um, you know, which like the- I, I I was a fan of when it was on, and I loved him in the show. So that was like the eye-opening one that got my attention is the casting. I'm like, they got Siler? Siler is it's in Star Trek. Uh, but it was sort of like Quinto was it was a you know I knew about Trek and it was a Trek fan would call himself and had heard about the roles you know coming up and he thought that being Spock would be a lot of fun like he was very interested in kind of grabbing the role for himself he thought that the Spock character was interesting that playing a lot of the like half human half Vulcan thing and the duality of it and and sort of bringing in that aspect what was super interesting so uh, Quinto sort of got noticed in terms of the role of Spock because he did um, an interview in the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette and uh, blatantly stated that he would like to play the role of Spock in this upcoming, you know, Star Trek reboot story. And that was widely circulated, especially on early internet. You know, this is again, kind of heroes. He was still, you know, one of the most notable things about that show that people really liked him. So that, that was widespread and got to the attentions of Abrams who brought him in for the audition. 
and and spot and he and Quinto said that he wore the blue shirt for the audition. He like patted down his hair. He uh, basically tried to emulate as much as Spock as possible. And Quinto said that, and we'll get to talk about Leonard Nimoy in a moment. But he said it was invaluable to have Leonard Nimoy on set and to kind of take a lot of have discussions with him about playing the role of Spock and and taking you know what it meant and how, and how to play it. And he took specifically a lot like he he did. A lot of the like behind, you know, the hands behind the back that Leonard Nimoy would always do, um, and, and sort of that that the stoicness that Leonard Nimoy was so easily able to showcase that he mm-hmm. took a lot of that. And he said, he said that it was a time of his life that he was like he was twelve again. He was like you know Spock for Halloween or something. But like to actually play it in a movie was 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 very exciting for him. I I have I want to save. Because just spoiler alerts, I do have praise to give. So I want to save it for the actual movie. But what I will say, it's it's funny hearing about the audition because the only thing I'll say about him in the role of Spock is I have – it's so rare to see somebody this comfortable in a already existing role. Yeah. And – in especially in this first movie, I've never seen somebody like up at when I saw this movie, I'd never seen somebody come into the shoes of a role and feel incredibly comfortable in it. And it just, and it shows that he was passionate about doing it. It seemed. Yeah. He, he was very eager. And he said, he literally said like, this was a role I was born to play. You know, mm-hmm. this is something that I, I was meant to do. And he really enjoyed playing the role of Spock. Mm-hmm. And it, and it is interesting because now that I am more familiar, I would probably nitpick it a little bit more because just Nimoy is Nimoy. Yes. And he's so good. But again, there's the you could do the whole like it's younger, new timeline. Like you can. That's the. Oh, all right. Yeah. I'll let you continue. Um, so I'll finish up like the, the original, like the new original cast. And then we'll talk about Leonard Nimoy because I think mm-hmm. it'll be a good way to kind of get to that point. Um I think one of the best castings of this movie, Carl Urban. Oh as, yeah, dude. Okay, yeah. As yeah. as 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 uh, Doctor McCoy. Uh, so Urban also was a huge Trek fan as a kid, mm-hmm. um, and and, uh, and it sort of fell out of it as he grew up. But when he heard that the movie was going to be made, he bought the original series DVDs and watched it with his kids and rediscovered his love for uh for the movie uh for the for the characters and the movies and everything and he decided that he would also kind of go out for the role of of mccoy because he felt that it was a role he would play and it would be very fun to kind of be involved with this franchise and essentially like he nailed his first audition he met with abrams two months later they called him in for the audition and right after the first audition they're like okay well you're our you're our bones. You're our, you're our, you're our Dr. McCoy. And at, I think at the time, all I had known him for was that he had a really small role in a, or he, he had a role in Lord of the Rings. That, that was about as much as I knew him. Yes. Um, yeah. But, th- but this was like, yeah. put him on the map for me. Yeah. And, and he said that it was a joy to play this, this character. Again, he really loved Trek and he didn't, you know, he wanted to, you know, echo uh, DeForest Kelly, but also, again, still bring his own little thing to it. But one of the things he said he enjoyed most about this was the comedy, that the, the, the comedy that McCoy brings to the proceedings, because that was something that he had really not done. He had, you know, he had, you know, done it maybe in King Kong 
but like not 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 a lot of comedy in his career up to this point. So he's very happy to kind of do more comedy because he says it's always so much fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, he, and he grew close with, you know, uh, with Pine during the pr- production because those characters have to be very close. Uh, a sci-fi aficionado, Zoe, Zoe Saldana is uh, Uhura. Uh, you know, again, in the kind of mix of people who knew Trek, didn't know Trek, the most that Zoe Saldana knew about Trek. <laughs> I wonder if you're going to say what I think you're going to say. Is the amount her character had to know in <laughs> uh, Steven Spielberg's Determinal. Because yeah. in that movie, she plays a character <laughs> who is a Trekkie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that's what I thought. Um, but, you know, she had... Um, uh, she had n- really knew nothing about Trek, but... Um, Abrams was a really big fan of her and just like basically contacted her about playing the role of Uhura. The, 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 the other thing is that though she wasn't a big Trek fan, uh, Zoe Saldana's mother was a huge Trek nerd. And so when she got cast in the role, Zoe said she'd get constant voicemails and emails from her mom telling her like, oh, this is how you should play it. This is how, you know, this is what Nichelle would do. And she did meet with Nichelle Nichols as well. And they talked a lot about Nichelle Nichols coming up with the backstory for Uhura and sort of what the role means, you know, from an African-American standpoint and everything like that. So uh, Saldana was very happy to play the role. I think, is this technically, does she do, I guess like this and Avatar come out in the same year. Yeah, she was kind of like, you know, I mean, I knew her. She was just kind of always in a lot of things. And and when you go back and look at her career, like she is one of those like where she was in a lot of other stuff that you would have just seen her in. I mean, you know, she was in Pirates of the Caribbean one. <laughs> yes, that's for yes. Always, always forget. Even even we've done that episode. I always forget she's in Pirates one. Yeah. So like I grew up like there was a lot of movies that I saw her in like she like i said she was in the terminal um uh, this uh comedy that i grew up on guess who with my family um i'm looking at her and then it was because avatar yeah so the one two punch would have been like star trek and avatar were like the one two punch and then she became like a sci-fi lady uh it was yeah all different you know she's been you know, she's had her natural skin tone here. She was blue in Avatar. She was green in Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. You know, we probably just, let's just get her a rainbow of star of uh, sci-fi characters. Let's yeah, she needs to be like um, she needs to be red or something. Yeah, in, at some point in a Star War, put her in a Star War. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah just 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 throw her in a Mandalorian. Yeah, <laughs> just make her. What are red aliens? Oh, we've like got the. the the dat like the the Zabricks or the, yeah. the the Darth Maul people like she could be one of those. Oh, she could she should she'd kill that she'd kill that. Yeah, or a night sister. She could be a night sister. Yeah, she could be a night. They're kind of like Obi Wan season yeah. two. Put her as a night. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, I mean, she was like it, that was one of those where I don't know. It, it was like a, it's a really interesting and you'll you'll say it because it was a bunch of faces that you knew but weren't too high profile enough where you could get engaged with them. And then that, and I mean, that goes into when you're, I assume you're about to talk about like Sulu and Chekhov next. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. So it's, we got, I'll talk about uh, Sulu next. It's uh, uh future, future Spike Spiegel, John Cho. Um, and uh, again, just like with Saldana, Abrams was a big fan of Cho's work and brought Cho in for audition, but Cho and Abrams 
we're both originally a little bit uh, wary of casting Cho in the role because Cho was interested, obviously, in a big role. But Cho is, uh, you know, of Korean descent. And Sulu, of course, is a uh, um, Japanese character. Uh, but both Abrams and Cho met with um, the original Sulu, George Sakai. And Takai gave his full blessing that, you know, he felt that Sulu was meant to kind of could represent all, you know, Asian people of Asian descent. And, and that the, the, the purpose of the character wasn't necessarily to, you know, to be Japanese, but was to be an Asian representation. And so Cho was given the blessing that even though, you know, he could he could play the role of uh, Sulu. And um, Cho was very uh, happy to, to kind of, be on that legacy and also very happy to do some of the fight scenes that he got to do. And they were in Abrams again, Abrams and Orchi and Kurtzman were very eager to bring in sort of these other sides of these characters that maybe were more explored in other material in the novels or maybe briefly explored in the series. And so kind of uh, Sulu's, you know, sword play and, and sort of that aspect of the character was, was something that Cho had a lot of fun with. Uh, Anton Yelchin as, mm-hmm. uh, as Chekhov, uh, the one thing about Chekhov is that uh, Yelchin always felt that the Chekhov character was very weird. Just it's like the all oh, the concept of this, you know, Russian character placed on this thing in the middle of the Cold War, like in real life. And just the character would always bring up Russia and everything like that. And so, you know, kind of Yelchin purposely gave Chekhov a very weird energy uh, just because he felt that that was something that was always was about the character was the character just had this weird energy about him. Um, and it was, it was, uh, it was uh, Yelchin's decision to bring back the W and the V things, even though it was like Yelchin mentioned, well, when you really look at it, it's that something more of like a Polish thing than a Russian thing, but it's something that he decided that the, 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 to go with the weirdness of the character thought that it fit. Uh, and then finally of our main crew, Simon Pegg comes in as uh, Scotty. Uh, this was another first choice for Abrams. Abrams sent an email to Pegg saying, like, I want you for this role of Scotty. Now, I, and I'm not talking superstardom, but would you argue that this was, like, the biggest name of the cast in terms of, like... Honestly, probably, yes. Because that was, like, the one where I'm, like, at this point, Simon Pegg was, like, in things that, like, people really... Even it from a nerd point of view, it's like, yeah, I mean, it's the he, he's the Edgar Wright guy. He is. He's the funny yeah. Edgar Wright. Guy. Yeah, it's like right. we like, love him like, and stuff. You know, he was, he was. I think it's at the most or at the least, uh, Peg probably had the most just sort of cult status of anybody in the movie. Um, because yes, yeah, he had been, that's like, probably a better way of putting it. He'd already done Shaun of the Dead, right? Like Hot Fuzz was already a thing at this time, and like you know, people did like Spaced a lot. I mean, and, and Peg Peg brought it up himself that like sort of the funny thing is that his character on Space, which is you know Edgar Wright's you know TV show that he did in in Britain, has the whole rant that brings up the like oh the odd number Star Trek movies are always bad, the good ones are always good, and and Peg said it was of course fate would put me in like uh, a, an odd number Trek movie just to prove me on my bullshit. Um, so obviously like you know Peg was very interested in the role, but he wanted to make sure that he. Uh, got the Scottish accent correct. So Peg went to his wife, Maureen, who was originally from Glasgow, though Peg noted in canon that um, that Scotty was more of an East Coast Scott. So Peg's final accent was more of a mix of West Coast, East Coast Scott, Scottish mm-hmm. accent. Um, 
and he uh, he tried to bring in the fact that like, you know, yes, he's kind of doing sort of the Scottish stereotype, but like he felt that Scotty was a very positive, I, I you know, Scottish kind of stereotype and, and sort of was excited to kind of bring in that, you know, fun element of the character to life. Mm. But of course, this movie really can't be talked about with, without noting that uh, we do get the return of Leonard Nimoy mm-hmm. a, as what is known as Spock Prime or Spock uh, from and, the and original I, timeline. Because I guess we knew Leonard Nimoy was coming back. So at this point, we did know that there was like time travel. So there's something going on. Uh, so Abrams, Kurtzman, Ortsman, uh, Ortsman and Kurtzman came into this movie with the time travel concept with the uh with the original you know we're redoing the original cast but their number one thing was like we're not making this movie without Leonard Nimoy like mm-hmm. that was that was always one of the number one things too it's like this movie cannot happen without Nimoy we need that sort of element in the movie not just to kind of be that sort of blessing you know kind of the original cast blessing sort of a representation of that but also just that that you know Nimoy was just so perfect in the role that like they wanted to kind of celebrate that. Um, so they, they all, uh, Kurtzman and Orsi went to Leonard Nimoy's house and they said at first they kind of gave him the sort of like, who are you guys? Like, what are we doing here? Sort of vibe. But they sort of explained everything about the movie and explained like why it was so important to it. That they were bringing in, you know, a lot of elements of Spock's backstory that had never been explored before, but they thought that it was extremely important that, um, he was there and that they, they, uh, they wanted to honor him and honor the Star Trek legacy and honor, honor the whole original cast. And they said that originally Leonard like kind of listened in silence and considered in silence. Um, and eventually it was like, you know, he kind of he said he would think about it. It was eventually Nimoy's wife had said that he, after they left, he had gotten very emotional about the, uh, about the pitch and, and thought that, you know, he had, you know, been asked to do certain things over the years with track. And he kind of always sort of like really picked and choose and, and kind of let that life kind of lie. But eventually like he, he got emotional over that concept of how important that this was. And he liked the script and he liked how he explored Spock's story and he liked how his involvement would be. So he decided to, to come on board for the movie uh, and he, he he took the opportunity, as I mentioned, to really kind of mentor Zachary Quinto in just the role. And it's like there's a story about how uh, when they went to Comic-Con to kind of do the panel that Nimoy leaned over to Quinto. It's like, I hope you know what you're getting into because like, you know, this this mm-hmm. is your future. This is part of it. Um, I will mention here, partially infamously, uh Shatner also tried to position. Uh, oh, yeah, of course. Petition for a role in this movie. Originally in the script, um, they did have a vocal cameo from Shatner where uh, Spock Prime would play a little birthday message to uh, that uh, Kirk recorded for him to uh, Chris Pine. Uh, but Shatner said he'd only do the movie if he had just as big a role as. Um, as uh, as Nimoy, kind of the whole favorite nations is again, and suggested that they adapt some elements of his novels that resurrected Kirk after his death in Generations. And though everybody agreed, even Nimoy himself said that like it would have been nice to kind of retcon the Generations death because it was all kind of bullshit. Resurrecting Shatner in any way would have made that the focus of the movie, uh, and they couldn't do it. 
Uh, so it just essentially at that point, Chatner just had no no involvement at all, unfortunately. Right, right. Um, and then, right. Yeah. I I mean, I have maybe we'll we'll get into this in the story, but like I have a pretty, I have become I've never really had requested Chatner ever be in these, but the more and more I've watched these old movies, that I'm I'm actually certain that it's a best choice that he's not. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, I guess like the one real major role that we should still discuss. Greg uh, Grunberg as the stepdad. I mean, it's not a J.J. Zazen movie without <laughs> Steph Grunberg. No, dude. We, we saw it happen. We watched it happen. Don't tell me it didn't happen. Uh, oh, the the Hulk himself. The Hulk himself. Uh, Eric Bana. Bana. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a it was one of two choices for Abrams. It was Banna or Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe was not available. Russell Crowe would have been awesome. Oh, you gotta be kidding me! Oh, uh, so it was Banna who took on the role of uh, Nero, mm. uh, the time champion Romulan. That oh that my god, I can totally up. see Russell Crowe in this role. Like now that you say that, I, I can't unsee it. Uh, the decision uh, to make Nero a Romulan was uh, because one. Uh, there was this discussions. Okay, we're doing the you know the the reboot. We're trying to appeal this to a casual audience. We w- what if we did the Klingons? But but there was sort of this agreement that like well, you know Klingons had been used so much in all previous Star Trek stuff. The Romulans never still really never got their due. Even in you know um, you could still do more with them even after their appearance in uh yeah uh, uh, the last movie um, Nemesis. And the other thing is that, you know, Kurtzman and Orsi said, like, even though, you know, we're building this for a general audience, people kind of know that the the Klingons have kind of become more good characters and more in good standing. And it would be very mm-hmm. awkward to immediately go back and say, like, oh, they're really bad guy, you know, Russian, you know, uh, allegory stuff again. So they had a lot more freedom with the Romulans and they felt that it was a way to really bring in Spock Prime into the film because his last canon appearance was in the next generation episode where he's trying to bring priests between Vulcan and Romulus. So mm. that whole aspect of it was there. And it was again, like Abrams gave a lot of freedom to everybody in terms of their acting in the movie. And so it's Banna himself that um, decided on the vocal tones, right. And, mm. and sort of the, the vocal nature of the character. Um, and uh, people, I read a story that Paul Thomas Anderson saw the movie and kept asking who played the villain and was like shocked when Banna was like revealed that like he was the villain. That's fine. Um, so there was a lot of sort of like, you know, Banna decided to throw himself into the role. And again, he something he had a lot of fun with. And then, uh, you know, Crips Hemsworth was in the movie. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that, that's like that one, right? Where you're kind of like, who is this guy? And then I remember when he started being Thor and then everybody's like, you know, he's in the beginning of Star Trek, right? And I'm like, wait. And I go back. I'm like, what? No way. Um, and there are some legacy Star Trek people. Which, uh, by the way, I have to say, really good small role performance, I thought. Oh, he's great. Like, yeah. it really, he doesn't really do all that much, but he, it just, you can... T- like you could just that that kid's a star. <laughs> like, yeah, you can see it like you can almost see like that little performance and like translating it into like if he played Kirk, you know, like you could kind of yes. almost you could almost see it. Like, yes. I think that's what and I think that's important for like, you know, the, the movie itself. I do want to quickly mention that there's some cameos. Uh, uh, James Duhan's done. Chris Duhan makes a cameo and the transporter room. 
Uh, of course, you know, we mentioned uh, Greg Gungberg already. Um, Majel Barrett comes back one final time to play the computer on Spock Prime's ship. Um, and this was recorded two months before her, her death. Uh, and um, the movie is dedicated to her and her, you know, late husband, Gene Roddenberry. Uh, and also Will Wheaton uh, decided uh, was uh, at the insistence of Grant Gungberg uh, uh, came in to record uh, some of the Romulan voices uh, that you are here for the rest of the crew. Like he dubbed in a lot of the Romulan voices. Another thing that Abrams wanted to do, like not too much really to talk about in terms of the actual shooting of the movie, but Abrams did want to do pretty much all if he could um, on set shooting. Mm-hmm. Uh, that there, the, he did not want this to be a green screen, blue screened filled movie. So they they did, they went all over the map, uh, building sets at Dodger Stadium, building sets at Paramount, going off to mountains, and they they went as many places that they could because they they really wanted to make it feel like real in that sense, mm-hmm. right? And 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 to use again, to, as he said use sort of what they would have done with Trek if they had that budget back mm-hmm. in the 60s, if they had this amount of money. Uh, um, uh, let's see, what, what else in my notes? I do want to mention that Nokia is involved with this movie uh, and, and actually helped a lot with the designs of different communicators and, um, and, and stuff like that. And obviously we get a, a Nokia little <laughs> cameo uh, mm-hmm. at the beginning of the movie with, the, with a very distinctive ringtone. There was a lot of effort to make the movie feel modern. Um, he wanted to kind of give uh, the sleek modernist thing, but they also took a lot of inspiration from 2001, A Space Odyssey, more so than the original Trek. And yes, they all knew the jokes about, oh, it looks like Apple, it looks like an iPhone, it looks like an Apple store, but they all felt that it looked cooler than Apple. So they, they were fine with sort of that. You know, Apple was something that was cool, right? This was like the beginning of the iPhone era. So to be compared to that, they felt like, well, they were kind of on the right track because it, it was sort of being this sort of modern thing. And also they did mention as well that like, it's not as if, you know, Trek was unaccustomed to like, you know, making small little improvements as technology went on in those movies that the, yes, they did kind of have an old school feel, but they did still upgrade sort of, the, some of the video and view screen stuff as like they got into the nineties and they had more of that, that technology. So um, they weren't necessarily there. Uh, another important thing, again, they wanted to bring back the uniform colors as they were in the original series um, because that's a, an iconic aspect of those. Um, Abrams originally had all kind of the aliens in a scene towards the end of the movie, but then said, well, no, that kind of makes it feel like the cantina. Let's spread these aliens about. So they tried to pepper in all the alien costumes throughout the movie as they could, at like the background at Starfleet and the background of these ships and, and everything like that. But as I mentioned, yeah, they went all over the place. They, they filmed at City Hall in Long Beach, California. Uh, they filmed in Utah. They filmed at the, you know, they built the, um, the ice planet in the parking lot at Dodger Stadium. Um, the the uh, engine room for the Enterprise was an old Budweiser plant in Van Nuys, all over the place. So they they really tried to kind of bring that out. And even Abrams decided to go with thirty five millimeter film instead of any you know budding digital stuff at the time, just for for his sake, because he likes working. You know, he's a he he made Super Eight. He likes working on film. <laughs> um, you know there 
they were very lucky that they were uh, they just missed out on the writer's strike in terms of it affecting the actual production of the movie. Though Abrams said he, you know, he was part of the Writers Guild, wouldn't step over the line, but that meant that there wasn't a lot of room for him to do, like, you know, on set work because that would technically count. Um, uh, but him uh, and basically to kind of come, you know, he knew that was coming, so to combat that, uh, Abrams and Lindelof did a huge uncredited rewrite, just like basically kind of putting in all their last ideas before the strike actually happened. And the last thing to mention you kind of alluded to before was like there was a lot of secrecy around in the movie and a lot of like even like the trailers they they, they try to kind of hide you know again jj abrams the mystery box hey hey the first trailer i remember was right before uh, cloverfield so like, <laughs> like very much um so uh the script um the set was very closed pretty much only the actors and other you know, friends of the people could come on like very few. So uh, some of the people who were able to visit this set were, um, you know, Ronnie Moore, Jonathan Frakes, you know, people involved with Trek. Uh, Tom Cruise visited the set at one point um, and Steven Spielberg was also a featured guest on set and uh, was also someone who told Abrams he was a very big fan of, of the script and was excited uh, to see uh, the film come together. Uh, but with that, and, and also, I mean, quickly to mention, of course, this is uh, an industrial light and magic work, uh, worked very closely with Abrams to kind of bring, you know, a modern effects look to Trek. Because even in between what, you know, 2002 and 2009, effects were already on this kind of really fast upward trajectory. And, and so uh, industrial light and magic kind of was brought back into the fold. They had worked on Trek before, but now... They were they were in the midst of the, the kind of CGI era and the and and really kind of took all that they knew to kind of bring this Trash Trek movie to life. And then they then they made it. They made the yeah. movie. Uh, something something lens flare. <laughs> we'll talk about. We'll definitely talk about the lens flares. 100%. All right, but yeah, I, I, there's, you know, there's a lot more to talk about. I think we talked about the major chunk of what we wanted to talk about here, right? We talked about it being the reboot. We talked about sort of the, the idea that this was going to be a Trek for a larger audience and, you know, kind of bringing Trek into a modern world, a modern blockbuster world to, to kind of really, you know, obviously make Paramount happy by making it make a lot of money, but also kind of really showcasing what people like about Trek in a, in a brand new way. Uh, and what people like about these characters in a brand new way. And that was the intention from moment one, when Abrams and Robert and Kurtzby and, and Lindelof were all brought in from the Mission Impossible 3 movie to, to make like this Trek be this kind of new version of Trek for a modern audience that, that still connects to its original Trek heritage. And now it's time for us to boldly go where everybody has already gone for many years, and that is dissecting a J.J. Abrams Trek. One of, one of two. <laughs> One of two. Let's go. Let's get into it. Jim! What's going on? Jim, come back! Kirk! Captain! Jim, Captain! Come back, sir! Oh! We have to stop the ship! Kirk, how the hell did you get on board the Enterprise? Uh, Captain, this man's under the influence of a severe Let's reaction to a vaccine. He's completely delusional. Vulcan is not experiencing a natural disaster. It's being attacked by Romulans. Romulans. Cadet Kirk, I think you've had enough attention for one day. McCoy, take him back to medical. We'll have words later. Hi, right, Captain. Look, sir, that same anomaly. Mr. Kirk, Mr. Kirk is not cleared to be aboard this Look, vessel. Look, I get it. You're a great regulation. I'd love to do it again when you still. I can remove the cadet. Try it! This cadet is trying to save the bridge. By recommending a full stop mid-warp 
during a rescue mission. It's not a rescue mission, listen to me, it's an attack. Based on what facts? That same anomaly, a lightning storm in space that we saw today, also occurred on the day of my birth, before a Romulan ship attacked the USS Kelvin. You know that, sir, I read your dissertation. That ship, which had formidable and advanced weaponry, was never seen or heard from again. The Kelvin attack took place on the edge of Klingon space, and at 2300 hours last night, there was an attack. 47 Klingon warbirds destroyed by Romulans, sir, and it was reported that the Romulans were in one ship, one massive ship. And you know this Klingon attack, how? Sir, I intercepted and translated the message myself. Kirk's report is accurate. We're warping into a trap, sir. The Romulan's waiting for us. I promise you that. The cadet's logic is sound. And Lieutenant Uhura is unmatched in xenolinguistics. We would be wise to accept her conclusion. Scan Vulcan space, check for any transmissions in Romulan. Sir, I'm not sure I can distinguish the Romulan language from Vulcan. What about you? You speak Romulan, cadet? Uhura. All three dialects, sir. Uhura. Relieve the lieutenant. Yes, sir. Hannity, hail the USS Truman. All the other ships are out of warp, sir, and have arrived at Vulcan, but we, we seem to have lost all contact. Sir, I pick up no Romulan transmission, or transmission of any kind in the area. It's because they're being attacked. Shields up. Red alert. All right, here we are. After all this time, we've gone through the original Trek series. We have gone through um, the original series. We've gone through the next generation, and now we are back in a new way to the original series cast and crew of characters. Um, and, and it's something we talked about at the top of the show, a, a, a movie that I think has a surprising amount of, of legacy and influence on our modern film blockbuster landscape. And, and uh, something that I was, I was interested to revisit. I'm, I'm interested in revisit all three of these movies for very different reasons. I was interested to revisit this one because... Again, just seeing sort of the beginnings of this new Trek and this new Trek era uh, in some ways that we are still seeing sort of the, the effects of it, right? And it's kind of shifted. We're kind of back on a TV train. We may or may or not ever get this fourth movie in this trilogy or this quadrilogy. We'll see what, ha- well, we'll see what actually happens with that. Uh, but it was interesting to go back to this one. I'm very interested to talk about all the things that went wrong with Star Trek in the Darkness. And I'm very interested because uh, Beyond is the one I still like the most personally. And I'll be interested to revisit that one. And I think what was very interesting about going back to this one is obviously like Trek 2009 was really before I was became, I I considered myself a Star Trek fan. You know, I kind of like saw it in the sense of like, okay, it's the new Star Trek movie. And I was just really getting into film, right? That sort of like 2006 to 2010 period was like really when I was getting into like, movies and considering that as a life and a career and obviously then i saw wrath of khan became my favorite and then years 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 almost a decade later you know really got into track you know with that whole blu-ray fourth of july thing that i've talked about before but i was very interesting to go back to this movie having just seen all of these movies in a row especially having really sat down and watched every single of the original series films and, and kind of actually seeing how well this captures, you know, that crew and that cast and 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 that feeling of those of those uh, movies and, and episodes. And there is a part of me having become a bigger Star Trek fan 
that I that it is sort of weird seeing this version of like Trek with with the way that it does action and sort of the beats, which you can kind of like are are fun, but sometimes you can feel there are more Star Warsy beats just just the way that they function in the movie and sort of the pacing of the movie as well. And so there's that element that having come become a more of a Star Trek fan, it's just like it's entertaining, but I don't I, I just don't know how I really feel about that specifically. But what I can say. I was I was very impressed coming back to this and seeing how well this cast and these writers and this director really did capture these characters and how much like Pine does how much that Pine's Kirk is his own Kirk but how much it captures the essence of what Shatner's Kirk was and obviously like how much you know Quinto brings in that sort of you know um you know a young Spock and how influences that is that from Nimoy Spock and how well, how well urban plays McCoy and just the little bits of like, you know, stuff that we get like of, of Sulu and, and Chekhov and Scotty and, and Uhura. I, I really was impressed with how well this film captured those characters uh, and, and really sort of made them connected to the original characters themselves. And I think that's what I really took out of this rewatch was I think this is, it's a very entertaining movie that really showcases what's great about the original series characters, but just doing them in a very, a little bit more of a modern take on those characters. I am a huge fan of this movie. Like I'm a big fan of it. Yeah. And, um, and it was interesting because in many ways, I do think it was, it, it delivered what it had to do perfectly in terms of like somebody who was just, excuse me, a, a ca- even less than a casual fan of Trek, like me, mm-hmm. who kind of knew it and could kind of make the connections and not, and the references weren't completely over my head, but I, I just wasn't as emotionally attached to it. And I always had felt that this movie had done its job where it made, it, it got me like into this world. And, and part of the, I think, the brilliance of the movie and how they handle, like, the time travel and they handle the conceit of it is that it really got me. It, it wasn't just, like, this is just the new version, and so now you have to kind of, like, connect to this newer version and forget how what, what older Trek used to be. There's a fraction of that because you're right. It is a more modern take, and it is very much more blockbuster actiony which for at least this i think this one movie does it the best for personally mm-hmm. and and because it was an exception it was like something new that the franchise really was doing and i also think like it really isn't that out of the realm to do i think it's just because like it's just so it's just so modern and like it, it just in the bombast really is bombastic um, and the special effects are really like, you know, present, but, um, but ultimately like it got me invested in the world because they have this conceit where the, the Star Trek world that, you know, it with that original cast still technically is a thing. And the fact that I get involved in these new characters because they are these old characters, they're just like with different faces because they're younger, but then you bring in old Spock. So that kind of gets you even invested in not only this story that they're telling, but the whole original series mythos and everything. And, and, and I, I just, 
ever since I first saw it, it just completely worked for me to the point that I was shocked about how much I liked it given like, and I, I think that, I mean, I think it potentially may be JJ's best movie. I think that it is, I think that, I think it flows really well. I the pa- think the that, pacing of this movie is the, really good. The, the pacing is really good. I think JJ is an expert at casting between like, like he just knows how to pull a good cast of actors together and then really have them hone in on what they're doing. And they're all really fun. Um, and, uh, and, what and, and yeah and then it and, and it also and it feels just like a really complete space adventure like like i it, it, i just love like and, and it's interesting like how a lot of people think that a lot of his star warsiness comes into and i and i think that maybe in the sense that his sensibilities are more spacefaring adventure and action but i did i still thought that he had I think he did enough to still keep it within the Star Trek world. So like all the action and everything that's happening, oh, sorry, all the action and everything that's happening still feels like very Star Trek-y. So the way they get rid of like the enemy spaceship at the end by making like a big black hole and then like, you know, them having to escape from it using like, you know, uh, uh, um, engineers and everything all feels very Trek to me. Like yeah. that doesn't feel like, like no, that yeah. feels like something strictly in the world of Star Trek to me. Yes. And so I, I I just think that there was a lot of, I just think from top to bottom, I just think it's, it's, it's a really just well done solid movie. And the only reason I didn't sit down and watch it all in its entirety before this is because I've just seen it so many times. And um, yeah. And I can nitpick things here or there because I know the franchise more, but I mean, I don't know. I think like this is its thing of doing its own thing while respectfully tying it into the original. And I, I, I have nothing but excitement for it. I, I really enjoy the movie. Yeah, I think, I, you know, I, 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 how do I say this? Like, I didn't expect going into it. I, I, I was very much on that realm of like going back to this. Like, how would I feel? Because I really not seen this movie in this, like watching it like this since I had really gotten into track and seeing it. And I, 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 I really think it's still really good. And I, I think that, you know, like maybe sort of like, you know, Kirk getting chased on a, on a snow planet by monsters, you know, I, I, to one extent feels a little bit more like something that would happen to like Han Solo than, than the Kirk. But on the other hand, I've just, again, I think you're very much correct in the sense of how, there might be a little bit of a different coat of paint on sort of the look of everything, but there is so much Trek here to do love, you know? And, and I really think what it does well, as I mentioned, is it comes back down to what I like about original series Trek. Cause I've said before, that's my Trek as much as I've gotten to enjoy the next generation and, sort of taken in like occasional Voyager, like my Trek is original series Trek. And those are the characters that I like. And again, what people tend to forget is, you know, what makes original Trek so good is those characters. And yes, the perfect performers are there even on the 60s series and in those movies, but it's those characters that make Star Trek work. And it really is a movie that showcases, especially on the Kirk and Spock side, 
what makes these characters work and what still make these characters fantastic characters all these years later, even played by different people. You, you, you know, the thing I really, really love about it now that I think about it, and especially with the next couple Trek movies that they just mess up right away. And it's a problem with most movies now. It's so simple. There is like, despite it really having like an, a, an, like a pretty crazy plot device of the time travel and and there and there are a few i kind of agree that the the, the snow planet i i think they milk the snow planet one too many scenes that that may be the one tangent that the story finds itself in that has to get itself out but mostly is saved because like like the like how they get scotty in the movie feels like the most we got to find a way to get him in here <laughs> like there's a little bit of that but but it's so simple. There's like no like you 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 kind of like they they carefully unravel what the villain is doing, but you kind of get it, and then they just reveal details. But there's no big twists that the movie's trying to like trick you or circumvent. Like it's not trying to be clever. Like it just like they just they they it just seems like they honed in on a smart way to do the movie, and then they just executed that vision. And they didn't try to do it like I thought like the way that they tie in the villain, I thought was great. And I thought like I I was always like like I was always like interested in the whole notion that the villain had this beef with a different Spock and they didn't try to force him and Kirk having a relationship with each other. Like it's funny because we just talked about James Bond, right? We just talked about No Time to Die. And my one of my biggest complaints of that whole movie was like they 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 barely give the villain an identity, and but then they also feel like oh he's got to be personally involved with our characters, and and I found that rethinking about this movie that this movie found a smart way of doing all of that stuff. I think when when I was doing the research for this movie, one of the it did strike me that one of the things that like you know the writers you know Kurtzman Orsi were saying was that. Yes, they were going to tinker things with time travel, but they still wanted to make this like uh, a. They still wanted to make this a, a a a prequel, and they still wanted to capture that these are still these characters. Well, that's the slightly... that's the brilliance and, and, of it because that's it's like thing, you can cause, even because yeah, getting ahead to like into darkness and even getting way ahead into you know not to open this pandora's box but like getting into like what happened what ended up happening with those star wars sequels there there's no means of like oh well we gotta bring in this thing that the you know that is super famous from this movie or that thing or like we, we gotta tie it into the whole no it's just like it's just an adventure with these characters at a younger age with slightly different dynamics than you might know them from, but that's going to fall into those dynamics. Because what do we like about the characters? We like the dynamics we have. We don't need to flip everything on its head and and, and sort of force ourselves like, well, the audience knows this, so it has to be this way. No, it does so well by these characters by letting them be these characters and letting the world reflect that they're these characters. Well, I mean, rarely, if ever, does a movie pulling the having its cake and eating it too ever work and this is one of the few movies i think it does work because yes. it's like it has every you're right it has everything you get to tell the prequel story but you also get to be like oh but everything we, we kind of get to reboot it with like a new vibe and everything 
But because of this plot device, all that other stuff counts too. Like all that other stuff that you know, like, cause now this all kind of falls apart in the next movie, but like, because it's not as carefully done, but, but it is like, it, it, it like, like it just like I, I don't know it's it's actually kind of at least for me like as like because i know that more the more initiated fans would probably have a little bit more to quibble about it but i gotta tell you like i saw this i don't think i would be interested in even going back to the original series if i didn't see this movie that's fair i think it does a good again i think it does a good job representing what makes that characters fun and i think that's why you want to go back and i I have a lot to say about that, but I think it's important to note, like, this movie opens up with a bang, too. It, it gets you right. It's just like the opening sequence with the, you know, with Kirk's father and that whole the whole thing with the, you know, we kind of see the Romulan ship come through and, and sort of the attack. Like, it, it, it opens, it, you kind of forget, like, it literally opens up, like, with an absolute bang and, and gets you right into sort of what Abrams wants you to feel with this movie and sort of the excitement. And that's the thing. It's so this movie from moment one is so entertaining and exciting that even watching it, even with the quibbles I might have now as a more a a smarter Trek fan of just knowing the history a lot more. It's it's hard to deny that this movie is incredibly just entertaining from moment one. It's interesting because and I haven't quite settled on how what my exact feelings on this is, but it is interesting the difference between this and the force awakens which is a which is a movie i like but it is interesting because they are very different yes. and we we all know that famously like jj never thought he would make a star wars movie mm-hmm. and then like there is a level of like reintroducing things and 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 it is funny because i do think that like maybe there i i actually do i still stand by i think Star Trek is the better overall movie just as a package because it's like I sit down and I'm thrilled, I'm engaged, and yeah, maybe, you know, maybe JJ taps in more thematically and not even thematically, well, but like I think emotionally. It, yeah, I, in spirit, yeah. I think it's sometimes that whole thing too where we talk about sort of a director being a fan of the material versus a director not being a fan of the material, but I also think that obviously like on both ends, it can be good, right? Like when you mentioned earlier that this is kind of the good version of Roland Emmerich, not being, uh, you know, a Godzilla fan where it's just like, yes, you, you kind of, you know, have this knowledge of how much it's revered and respected, but your kind of outsider perspective can allow you to kind of notice different things. And it's almost on the same side as, as being a fan of something where sometimes when you're a big fan of something, you get stuck on certain things that you like and certain things that you have to put in. Or you can kind of be like, well, I know what it is. And I think that what really makes Abrams work with this movie is I think he knows what's good about Trek and he respects it and he showcases it throughout the movie, but still has such enough of an outsider's perspective to bring his own lens flare into it. Right. And I know that was a joke, but I really mean that. Like, I think he knows. You know, but that's the thing. As much as we will joke about the lens flare, you know, it is interesting because here, here's, I think, a piece of the puzzle that I'm, I'm kind of putting together is that, you know, with, with 
I just look at Star Trek, which is just like, it just starts off really thrilling. I think has like an interesting visual nature to it. You kind of feel, and maybe because I'm not into Star Trek, like you just kind of feel like you're being thrown into an interesting sci-fi world with the technology and the visuals. And, but not in the same way as, like I almost kind of now looking back on this movie, I'm, I have it kind of playing in the background right now, but I almost kind of miss some of that flair when he did uh when he he did at least the first star wars because like when he does rise of skywalker it's actually a little bit more trekky i think but but i almost wonder it's because him being i think it's that thing like you said when you're not as attached to the material you almost put more effort into it like well how can we do a new thing but be devoted to the old thing and it just feels like there's a lot more thought into how to do that whereas like maybe in star wars he comes in with a love for that. So it's like, well, we have to emulate this, this, and that. You know what I mean? So it's almost kind of like, that's a point for this movie, I yeah. think. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, even like for moment one, the performances are fun. Like we mentioned, Chris Hemsworth in this whole scene, like you can tell, yeah, he's going to be like a huge star. Like, and it's very, you know, he plays the role of Kirk's father very simply and, and sort of someone who's thrown into this situation where he has to make these tough decisions. But it's kind of like you can see where original series Trek would have gotten a lot of his, you know, stuff from when like looking up to his father. But also you can kind of, you know, again, like, like I said, you could see like almost how Hemsworth could have transitioned into just playing Kirk because there's a very kind of like noble quality to his character. I think for moment one, sort of the Romulan stuff is is super interesting and visually Um they, they kind of get the whole like kind of unknown aspect of like the, the Federation and, and exploration almost from moment one when it's like the polarized the view screens and like what is that sort of really reminds me of sort of a more dynamic way of of the uh, original motion picture and introducing the, the, the cloud in that movie. There is obviously it's like a much faster pace, much better version of sort of that feeling. But there's that same feeling of just like we're we've got an unknown object in space and like we've got to like figure out what to do with it, you know, and, and, and I just think like dynamically, it just introduces the world and the stakes already, even though these characters that we see in the opening part do not really truly factor into the rest of the movie. There's an immediate like gripping of what's going on. Yeah, no, I, I completely, again, I have the first scene playing, like, right now, and it, and it's just, it's just like, I mean, that's a crazy ship, like, the Nero ship. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so crazy. It's a crazy ship, and then, like, just visually what's happening and how it's going on, and, 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 and also what I like about even the opening scene is, like, you're kind of thrown into that. You don't really know what's going on, right? Yes. Like, you don't really know what's going on. And even I was thrilled when the captain goes to the other ship, and then they're asking him questions about, like, what star date is it? And then they pull up the image of Nimoy Spock, and it's like, what do you know about Ambassador Spock? And then I just think that the movie does this thing where, again, it's not trying to be clever, but it's very smart in how it, when and where it reveals things, I think. Yes, I would agree. Um, and even then, that's just like, you know, you kind of like, well, what, what does this have to do with anything? And then you kind of figure out like, oh, well, that's, you know, uh, you know, you're the cat, you know, uh, Kirk is like, you know, uh, that, yeah, yeah, 
that uh you know that Hemsworth is playing like a Kirk right like uh and then you kind of get to like oh like you know his wife's about to give birth and you kind of get that aspect of of like just slowly kind of revealing like hey this is you know an alternate way of the birth of of, of Kirk right and and sort of history has changed and that you kind of know and don't know if you're if you're a new Star Trek fan you don't really know that like how important that is yada 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 so they do a lot of like really interesting stuff immediately to get you kind of like intrigued by what's about to happen. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it's, um, yeah, all good stuff. And then we got, you know, and then we get to a nice little almost parallel stuff with, uh, we immediately go to like kind of, Oh, also, sorry. To, I also forgot. Like, and then also if you had been watching lost, then you're going to be like, did the lost guy do this music? <laughs> it's like that, that whole scene is very, very like, G Kino, like, you know, big uh, strings and the, the sad theme. But then it's even like, it's so cinematic because then it's like that all happens in the way it transitions into the title card. With yeah. That, with that great theme. Like, like, uh, oh, like, it's just, I remember just seeing it. And I'm like, oh, I am on board. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is like peak rise of G Kino, like mm-hmm. from, you know, Lost and Incredibles to Ratatouille and this. It's, He's the best. He's the best man. Like I, I, I there's no one else in, in Hollywood that I love more than him. I mean, obviously, other than like Williams has the legacy, mm-hmm. but like and and you know Zimmer has good stuff too. But Chiquito's like my favorite composer, and this movie is no doubt. And he he has said himself that he's very attached to the score. Like he's played this live a number of times. Uh, he he really enjoys doing the treks, and I mean to the point where he directed a, one of those Star Trek shorts a couple years. Well, mm-hmm. a couple years ago, he just he directed he directed a Star Trek short a couple years ago. Uh, so he's very invested in, in, in doing a Star Trek music. Uh, I also really like this view of uh, Spock's childhood, which, um, you know, showcasing sort of him really struggling to keep in those emotions and sort of how Vulcans bully each other. Very. It, it, it's very matter of fact. Like, I love like, how they they don't feel uh, other than like they can be dicks. Like that's right. the they can do that. Well, I mean, but, like, <laughs> but, that, but that's the whole like. Obviously, it's like they don't show emotion, but all like that, even from the original series, that's what McCoy always hated about Spock. Is he Spock always felt like, well, you're so high and mighty, like you're so much better than us. Like that's what happens when it's all logic that you think everybody's better than you, mm-hmm. and that's why you know, and that's why what makes Spock Spock is that he can have that reasoning of well you know um uh you know he, he he that's what he learns right that's what he learns that like he can use his emotion with his logic mm-hmm. and here he's still trying to figure it out and just some of the stuff like you know with 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 spock kind of trying to realize who he is and that's a big part of who spock character is you know throughout all these films right is is trying to figure out exactly like where his place is in, in the universe and it's interesting to sort of see how this movie portrays that that route and kind of and knowing that how spock learns that his emotions are part of him you know that he he, he can't truly purge them out mm-hmm. yeah yeah it, it is interesting because yeah, because it, what's interesting about the parallel and my understanding of is when they made the movie, it was edited much differently that it was like you just kind of follow the two storylines separately. And then they decided for efficiency, then they started intercutting them. So it goes back and forth from Kirk to, yeah. to Spock, which is a good and, decision. Good decision. Yeah, yeah. There's actually a, a couple smart because they're actually a, a, a bunch of big different 
things uh right like structurally. Yeah, like, yeah cuz there was all like obviously there was a whole bit about Spock's actual birth we were supposed to get more with Kirk and his brother that they cut out i think the the way that they ended up editing the beginning of this movie it just very efficiently shows you the difference between these two characters and their paths yeah and i think that that's enough to show the parallels between the two but also to differentiate them and, well, and showcase them. It, it, well, the interesting thing I was going to say is that with Spock, you're just kind of seeing the Spock story and then you're just seeing him as a kid. Whereas the Kirk story, you're kind of seeing the the Kelvin timeline alternate version yes. of his story. So, I mean, it is interesting. I like seeing all the Spock stuff. It, it does. I think the more interesting stuff with Spock happens in the late in later in the movie. So like mm-hmm. this kind of stuff is like, Fun and good stuff to see, like, yeah. and it gets you invested in who are these two characters that you're following. You like the little Vulcan learning holes? Yeah, <laughs> that is, it is one of those things. And again, maybe it's because I'm not it, it, like, I don't know. There, there does come a part where everything just kind of seems like what's like a weird, interesting visual. Like, I don't know if I ever buy like do Vulcan. Is that really? <laughs> Vulcans learn they're just in these little domes but it's cool I like it <laughs> yeah. um, we also have to mention that um, you know this is our first appearance in the series of the Beastie Boys uh, coming up with the with the Kirk stuff oh you know what actually I'm sorry to go back I, I do have a more um, thoughtful answer to that to the dome thing I actually do because I think what's interesting about all the Trek films and and about trek itself is that for me i i don't really get a physical identity of like the universe and the planets and what things are at, like in the same way that i do star wars like you know mm-hmm. it's star wars like you know tatooine you know hoth and you know like like there's all these different like landscapes and buildings and cultures that you can do that you can like yeah, T- tie yourself to. Whereas, like, I like, I never, I don't have like a real grounded sense of what Vulcan is mm-hmm. and like what that planet is. Though, I guess, like now going back and looking at those old movies, I guess Vulcan is just kind of like a Grand Canyon planet. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> I guess it is now that I, now that I think about it. But, but that's why I actually don't mind later on the spaceships and what the spaceships like look like because I get grounded and attached to that identity of like uh, that that's where home base is so but it is an interesting kind of thing with star trek is like every kind of planet and visual is kind of interchangeable for me yeah yeah beastie boys the beastie boys we get sabotage we get kirk stealing his stepdad's car and driving i believe it's called classical music correct it is (laughs) uh kirk stealing his stepdad's car and taking it for a joyride and getting chased by this uh police dude and then he drives it off a cliff and he's kirk Mm -hmm. he's a rebel and then the and then that the police who's Maybe a robot, maybe a, a RoboCop. I don't know. Like, I don't know what his deal is, but he's like, what is your name? Oh, is it the trailer? What is your name? I'm Kirk, which is it, it is kind of funny when you watch the movie, because in the trailer, that's like a big moment. And you're like, what is your name? And he's like, my name's James Siberius Kirk. And you're like, oh, my God, it's Kirk in the movie. You're like, yeah, uh, we know who, <laughs> we know who it is. <laughs> um, 
But see, that was interesting when I watched it. So like all the kind of like, I, that's the kind of stuff that went over my head, like how Beastie Boys or the practical nature of him like joyriding a car and doing all that kind of stuff is a little bit more unusual. For, or or it, it's more of a point to be made because it's not like everybody's doing that. Like, yeah. I still have to remind myself about, like, this. these movies are in the far-off future. Mm-hmm. So, like, that, yes. that, that took me a little... And, it, in fact, I, like, the scene's on right now. I will say this may be the one thing where... Th- this is what feels like maybe J.J. is not as in touch with Star Trek. Because it's like... yeah. Yeah, it just and and really this fr- this I, here, franchise. Honestly, the scene is made better by the fact that it's called back to in beyond. Like I think. Oh yes, yeah. I think that use of um in beyond makes the scene a lot more fun. Yeah. Otherwise, it's kind of like not like obviously like what I like about I I think in general um the stuff once we get to where it's Pine and Quinto that's like the most interesting stuff with these characters because like again like the next scene we kind of cut to. Spock's decision to not join the Falcon Science Academy, but instead go to Starfleet. And it's really just because of Vulcan racism. Yep. Mm-hmm. And but it's nice because <laughs> it's also Spock being a dick. Like they he's addicted. They're addicted yeah. to Spock. And then out of a petty move, he's like, I'm going to like Vulcans. They can't show emotions, but they can be dicks. Right. And it's also about I mean, it really also showcases Spock's love and respect for his mom. Mm-hmm. That like at the beginning, you know, when he's talking to his dad, uh, you know, and when he's the younger Spock and like, why did you fall in love with her? Well, I was studying humans. It was the logical thing to do. And sort of like this sort of uh, identity where it's like he wants to be Vulcan, but he uh, he is questioning his human side of himself. But the scene right before he gets accepted and then rejects it, he has the scene with the well, Winona Ryder um, and sort of her human caringness, right, is is really what spurns Spock to reject the Vulcan Academy because he gets to be a dick to them. He's, you know, the dicks. But honestly, it's like and always a part of Spock's character is that respect he has for his mother. And that's why he can never really truly get rid of his human side because it's his his mom is such an important figure in his life. Oh, yeah. And I mean, and, and this is something that we have learned I mean, we, we've learned a little bit like through um, the older like the movies and the TV shows that like Spock and Sarek are kind of full of it, like a little bit like when yeah. it comes to their relationship with like his mom and everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, but so, yeah, so you got so it, it it is interesting because you do watch it and then like that's the only thing on a rewatch is like you are kind of like it does have that first act where you're like let's get through the first act of it like if you had to rank them like everything from the opening title to when they get to the enterprise is kind of like you know it's it's setting everything up yeah (laughs) it's um it's uh yeah it's all good there is an interesting part uh, i i don't know does it happen soon after all of this business where we go back to nero and then we're kind of like introduced a little bit to what his plot may or may not be um it's a- it's after the three years later so it's oh, after because yeah. it's, a- mm-hmm. it's after kirk so kirk we get we get to kirk in the bar yeah yeah the kirk um, bar scene where he's just a horn dog yeah he touches <laughs> boobs at one point but comically he, he comically touches boobs which is- i've always had this thing though where I think 
genuinely that sort of the lady like that aspect of the ladies man of Kirk gets a lot over exaggerated over the years because yes. it, it's like the best episodes of the show don't really have it the movies really barely touch upon it like and even like not in the way like when they do touch upon it it's more wholesome like with stuff with, in, in two and four and everything like that and like a lot of it is just comes from that really bad season three where Roddenberry is not there and and just I feel like it it just gets a little bit exaggerated and yes like oh he falls and grabs Uhura's boobs at one point oh he's so cheeky well um, yeah well what's funny about it is like you do like you're right like for some reason I think it's the case of like everybody kind of puts Shatner in the place of Kirk because when you watch like those movies He's a really kind of stand-up guy. Yeah, <laughs> like, and, like he, and, and and again, the best episodes of the show, like he, that's who he is too. Like, and he's not really that much of like a. I don't want to say a creep because he really isn't a creep. I mean, he's kind of a creep here, a slightly slight creep, but um, like he's really not that in in the best of the show. And I feel like people take that sort of like well, the no, worst but that's part of the show. But that's what kind of like makes it work in this one. Is now when I watch it, I see like, okay, well, this is like how he's different because he's not that right. guy who went to Starfleet. Like, right, he's like, like, like he's going to Starfleet later. That's kind of the whole point. He doesn't have his father to kind of inspire him and, and spur him on. Yeah, so he's, he's just kind of like he's essentially like the guy who's like kind of like just out of college, still going to college bars, trying to hit on girls, and like. And I do like, though, that they do. This is a good indication of like, you know, the Kirk, like, you know, he can kind of fight for a little bit. Right. Like and he gets like eventually ganged up on until Pike comes in. Yeah. Um, which I love the use of Pike in this movie, too, because, again, if you know Trek canonically, Pike is the commander of the Enterprise before Kirk is. And I like that the kind of this expanded role of, of, of Christopher Pike in this movie sort of has that, you know, continues that train and still has that kind of Star Trek legacy to it. But you get to see like the the brawling Kirk and how good he is at throwing a punch and good at like kind of defending himself, which is a nice aspect of the character. Yeah, I think it is one of those things where I mean obviously it's like the go-to like he's like an Indiana Jones. He's a Han Solo where he like he gets he can throw a punch but he gets beat up and everything too. Um though I do think it pays off later because I don't think he really Bess anybody like that i think i just like the notion that kirk is able to be the hero of the story just because of his sheer will of doing yeah. the right thing at the end of the day yeah. uh, that always speaks to me more than him actually being able to um do something himself and i yeah. think that that's something that the movie um comes through on yeah and and I think it's also, I mean, it really what it leads up to is this conversation he has with Pike where, you know, again, he, in this reality, Kirk doesn't have his father's sperm on, but Pike kind of reminds him like, Hey, like I wrote the dissertation on your father's 12 minutes as a starship captain and how, what incredible job he did to save all those lives. And, you know, you, you have a lot of your father in you and you could be, you know, you, you know, he, your father was a Star Trek captain for 12 minutes. Like, I think, I want you to do it like more. You, you probably do more in that time. And, you know, hey, you could be a star. You, you're good enough to be a Starfleet captain in four years or whatever. Uh, four years, I'll do it in three. So we do get to like sort of Kirk, you know, being spurned on to join Starfleet and, and you know, maybe sort of do something with his life that there is something more out there. But and, then it's also but that's like what's smart about it, too, is because what's smart, because I like that the movie doesn't belabor the point that 
I don't want to be in Starfleet. Like, you know, it's like they don't they don't do that. So it's more of a this is still in his DNA to do. It's just his entry point to do it is different. Yes. And that and that's what I like about especially with the context of having these older Kirks that I'm more familiar with now. And then and then we get into this and then and, and then they just smartly bring in a way of him meeting bones that was and, that which I, like fantastic introduction scene to bones so Comple- good completely captures the character completely captures what makes bones great gives him a little bit more depth of character just that you maybe would know from the series but it, it, carl urban's i mean the best is, recast of this whole thing right 100 percent. yeah easily 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 he's so good as bones it's so it's so incredible and it's so much fun because like again like you and i you know, have really talked about throughout all these films that we've watched how Bones has really been a glue that's kept us together. And just to see them do so well with the re- recasting and, and Urban really showcasing like his love for the DeForest Kelly performance while also bringing slight, his own slight differences to it, I think is fantastic. And you know, it's interesting because you don't even have to do the thing if it's like, he's good, but he's kind of doing like, you know, like him of that time or him of that age. Like, like, like Quinto's really good as Spock, but I do think there's a level of he's playing a younger Spock. I like this idea that like, like Bones has always just been Bones. (laughs) He's just always kind of like, not a bad guy because when you first get introduced to him you think he's going to play like a down dirty grizzled bones but as the sh- as the movie goes on he cleans up and then he just becomes the force kelly for like <laughs> throughout the whole thing <laughs> like uh, he is so good in this movie like just down to and like this is he- his eyes and his like eyebrows and the way that he looks at like kirk and just that same sort of disappointedness that the forest Kelly would always have on his face is it's just it's just it's captures it so well and, and he is able to deliver the iconic phrases without it coming off as like eye rolling like it mm-hmm. just it's just so like because he, he does do a damn it I'm not a physicist or, or whatever at, at yeah. one point when they're talking about the time travel and so like that's really good this is something it just came up because they do the three years past yeah and then you still, and again, this is why it's smart because they go to Nero and then they're waiting around and then there's like dialogue thrown around. They're just like, this is where it's supposed to be or this is where it's supposed to happen or we've been waiting this long. Like it's got to happen. They have some sort of conversation like that. And then, a, and then a spaceship comes through and then it's like, he's like, oh, welcome back, Spock. So there's a little bit like, you know, you could kind of figure it out what's going on, but... Mm-hmm. it's still done in a way that is like enticing and intriguing. But why I, why I was going to mention it is because I always have to point out interesting editing because there was a whole plot line in this movie cut out. I'm sure you know about this. Yes. Yeah. So there's a whole plot line in this movie where the Klingons were in it for a, for a hot minute. Yes. And so the idea was, is that after the opening, the, the, the cold open of the movie, um, they were, um, they were um, captured. Nero and the Rangers and Romulans were captured by uh, Klingons. Mm-hmm. And then they got sent to a, like a Klingon prison camp. And they were there for three years and then they escaped. And then the, the rest of the movie would go on. And so originally it was supposed to be kind of like the justification of like, well, where have they been for three years? Yeah. Like, why haven't they been doing anything? Now, 
I actually like that they cut it out only because it's simpler and, you know, you don't need the Klingons in it for the reasons that we talked about. But I actually kind of like the idea, like, and it, I think it helps that character that he's so dedicated that he's like, no, we came out of a wormhole and we're just going to wait until the wormhole opens back up because Spock is going to come out of it. Yeah. Like, I kind of like, like, I think that no, it's, it's, works it's, much better as a story they, point. You got to remember that, you know, yes, there's like three years after that, but they've been waiting there for essentially, they've been waiting for this for essentially 25 years. Yeah. <laughs> They've been waiting for Spock to come out for 25 years so he can get his revenge. That is true. Yeah, you're right. Because he's like, because that, because that happened when he was, when, um, when Kirk was born, Kirk was born. So he's yeah. really been waiting there. For, yeah, that's true. You're so right. And, 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 I mean, and that is like, you know, what adds to the character of Nero is his sole dedication, even in no justification of it making real sense like just his total dedication to this revenge plot in this specific, like I'm not just going to, you know, destroy Vulcan and destroy earth, but I'm going to make you watch and make mm-hmm. you despair, even though it's funny. Cause again, in theory, like it's still going to delete to eventual destruction of Romulus when, when that star does explode in the future. But like at the end of the day, like he doesn't care. He just wants people to feel what he, what he felt when he saw it happen and he watched well, it happen. I- there's a I, I do want to kind of mention talk about Nero a little bit because I actually think Nero gets overlooked, especially with these three movies, because I think hands down, he's the best of the three villains. That's really the funny thing is like I, I, I still want to revisit beyond. But like he's of these three movies, he's definitely the most interesting of the three villains that they oh, have. Well, because a lot of people, you know, there's that the infamous adage of like oh well like you know the the villain never thinks he's the villain like you know there's kind of like that what's always really like you know that i like like a lot in a villain is a villain who's just really dedicated to hating somebody Mm -hmm. because there's just something like like i forget i was watching something recently but i was just like man this like that person really hates that person and it's such like a visceral emotion because it takes effort to like hate i mean you and i have talked about it just personally like you don't really want to hate somebody Mm. like really so like when you do and you dedicate that much time to it it like it speaks volumes to me as a character so then when i like watch it and i and i know that like he's been waiting there for 25 years with a single purpose and another smart thing that the movie does is because because one of the things we have joked about with the con thing is that con can sometimes come across as like well he's putting everybody in danger he's putting his own people in danger what they do kind of smart about the villains in this movie is that the villains have nothing to lose yeah there's like literally there's there like and we're kind of skipping ahead to what happens, but they have no planet. Literally all they have is that ship and the crew on it. Mm-hmm. And they all seem to be on the same page about what needs to be done. So I don't know. I, I actually think, and again, is it streamlined and simple, but yeah, but it works. And Hey, you know what? I'm always going to be down for an actor who wants to choose some scenery. Oh, yes. I saw it happen. I watched it happen. Don't tell me it didn't happen. <laughs> like, again, that's one of those moments where we joked about that line read for years. But when you listen to it, I'm like, he really hates these people. Yeah. Like, it's, he. And, and like, it's like, Banna is someone who. I don't. I, I just like when an actor gets to do this because sometimes you don't really. And not everybody gets a chance to really be that scene mm-hmm. sure. 
And like, and scene theory is not a bad thing. No, no, not at like, all. Listen, I mean, I, I think we have de- determined on this podcast that we are let I think, let them chew. Listen, like one of my favorite villains performances of all time is Christopher Lloyd as Judge Doom, and he is oh, yeah. chewing up that scenery with every tooth he can, and it's well, great. Well, we talk about like, like we always go back to to this like this example of. Malekith from Thor the Dark World versus Ronan from Guardians of the Galaxy, who are very much like on paper, probably the same level of interesting villain, but Lee Pace chews up way more scenery, so it's instantly better. Yes. Yeah. It's just like, yeah. because it's like they're go they're they're just going for it. And and again, and another thing I like about Nero in this movie is that you know, because a lot of people will like to nitpick because it's like, you know, they, they make the point in the movie. It's like, yeah, but Rom Romulus hasn't been destroyed in our timeline. Right. And then like, but like to Nero, like Nero doesn't give a shit. Like it's like, no, it's like his, his planet, the life he lived got destroyed. His life is over <laughs> as far as he's concerned. Like everything, he doesn't care about the technicalities. Like it hasn't happened yet. So as much as we joke, we love to joke about that line. Yeah, it is like, dude, I saw it. <laughs> I saw it happen. And another thing, oh my God, I'm just gushing about the movie now. Another thing and then why it works is because the the language of the film is that though now the timelines are different. So it's not just like, hey, like you can like, it, it, it's almost like it never happened. And But to him, it's like, yeah, it did because that was my timeline. And because of this thing, for the audience, it's a whole different timeline, so you can kind of connect them, but also keep them distinct. I, I I think this is all handled really well. Yeah, I think I think Nero's a little underrated. I would agree. Yeah. Um, uh, but we get to kind of the main stuff at Starfleet now, right? Where Kirk is still betting girls. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> you get your Green Lady reference, which is one of those like famous. even newbie newbie Star Trek. You're like, oh, it's a uh, it's the Green it's the Green Lady. That's yeah. from a that's from Star Trek. Yes. Uh, and uh, you know, Uhura is always in 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 a Kirk's life, and will never tell him his her first name, never mm-hmm. ever. Which is also kind of an inside joke because Uhura never got a first name on on the show, and it was only like books. So technically, like this series of films is the first time she's had a canon first name. So mm-hmm. that's kind of fun. Uh, you know, we get a little Kobayashi Maru action, which I don't know how I feel about this. The way that this is portrayed, I kind of. Like, I get that it's sort of like, yeah, he's so confident that he's going to take the test again. and He's eating the apple and he's like kind of like, you know, not taking it seriously. But I kind of wish he put on a little bit more of like a performance, like I've actually beaten the test and then gets accused of cheating. I don't know. I I get it's a different Kirk, but I kind of never really liked how they portrayed like the Kobayashi Maru moment personally. Mm-hmm. But it is what it is. I I don't have a passionate opinion about it, but I, I can see where you're coming from. Like, because it's like, it's yes, a, it's, we, a, it's, a, it's a little too casual, I think, just a little bit for me, because you're right. It's like, do we it is one of those things where we as an audience obviously know what it is and what's going on. But does that give does that give the movie leeway for the characters to also be aware of it, even at a subconscious level? Because the, the scene is played that way. Right. Or it's like, like what's it, going on? Like, why is he acting like this? Like, right. He yeah. should be more like you know doing the test and he's like look i beat it guys like see i told you i could like do it. it's so clear he cheated like when yes. you watch the scene yeah that's what and, i mean that's what yeah. i mean and oh then- and by the way it, sorry i've just um 
Well, go ahead what you were going to say, because I think it's going to be. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say because like because the scene came up when they are flying up to the starships is kind of what I'm. So I'm skipping ahead to that. But yeah, um, I was just saying like that scene when you when they go up and then the reveal of the Enterprise and Giacchino score is just it just gets me on board. Like I, I've never cared about the Enterprise in my life. And then when I saw the Enterprise, I'm like, there it is. It's a big moment. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I like that they really, you know, again, didn't, you know, in in, a, in the same way that you don't fuck with the head of Ultron. Yeah. You, you don't fuck with the Enterprise design. And, nope. and it's just it, it's an incredibly classy ship and it still looks incredibly classy in this movie. And I also like how the the, the little um, the shuttle still kind of look like shoeboxes. <laughs> yeah. And uh, 100%. I, I, I like that. Um, no, but we got we got, you know, because then basically Kirk gets put on trial by Tyler Perry. Yes, <laughs> it does. Uh, blockbuster movie, Tyler Perry. Uh-huh. Also, <laughs> always a treat to see. Um, and then this is our first when they when in this universe, when Kirk and Spock uh, first meet, because in, in this timeline, you know, you know, Spock designed the Kobayashi Maru. And I guess he could have designed in the first timeline too i guess that doesn't have to change but it's never really established but he designed the kobayashi maru he's like accusing him of cheating and then i don't believe in the no win scenario they start arguing but everything is put to a halt right where um when uh there's a distress call from vulcan and that uh of course and, and i don't like i kind of like this in terms of classic star trek fashion they have a distress signal from vulcan and all the other ships are out of the quadrant so of course there, there's nothing more Star Trek than like every other ship is out of the quadrant. So we have to have you guys, even though you're completely unprepared, go look at this thing. And, and also what's kind of silly about like Vulcan come up. Well, no, I guess like, no, that's not true because Vulcan, they don't really give a shit about like the Starfleet stuff. So, right. Yeah. I guess that like, kind of makes sense. They're, they're allied, but they're not like they're allies, but they're not like, you know, true, you know, Starfleet, Starfleet. So it start it starts a running gag and then it starts a, a nice fun running gag where he like Kirk is grounded, but Bones is like, oh, man, I can't let him like he like he this is all he wants. He wants to come on the ship. So then he gives him like an like a, an allergic reaction <laughs> to some, some stuff and it creates a whole running gag that he like has this is this reaction. We are eventually introduced to um the rest of the crew with Sulu, which here's a, I, I actually have always kind of had a complicated intro, like uh, relationship with how they introduce Sulu because they do this bit where all the ships go except the enterprise. And then it's because Sulu, like he, he essentially like, he, didn't he messed check- something. Yeah. He didn't, yeah, like it's like he didn't like he like they joke about it, it's like did you make sure the parking brake was off? But like that's essentially what he did. He didn't like turn off this one thing, right. like the, the inhibitors or whatever. So I, I I'm a little bit torn on that because I, I, I don't think I love that the guy who's traditionally like or who's going to be traditionally like the pilot. Right. His like introduction like, is like, like I, I get that it's like a humorous like first day on the job and they're and it's supposed to illustrate that these guys are new and the smart storytelling reason for it is that it, I think the idea is like, it explains why they're late yes. and why they don't get destroyed with the rest of the ships. Yeah. So in that way it is smart, but I, I, I wonder if there was like a different way to handle it, to make it seem like we also, uh, yeah. I, I should also mention, we also get introduced to the concept that, uh, 
uh, Spock and Uhura have a thing for each other. Yeah, 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 yeah. They start really, they start hinting at that, which I like that little bit at the end where he's like, you were supposed to assign me to the Enterprise. <laughs> well, that's the whole thing. It was like, she's like, like she's gets assigned because all the cadets are assigned to different ships. And she's initially uh, sent to the Farragut, which is another very important ship in Star Trek history. At least has has some canon stuff in there. But she goes up to him and is like, why, why, why am I on the Enterprise with you? It's like, well, I didn't want to show favoritism. It's like the newest ship. And, and you know, it's like, you know, what you, you were going to put me on there because I'm like the best. Like, you know, like that sort of thing. It's like, there you are. You're, I am on the Enterprise. And so it seems you are, you know, and that sort of thing. I, I also... Yeah, no, all that stuff is good. I also don't, I never loved, I love Anton Yelchin as Chekhov. I think he's great. Mm -hmm. Um, I never loved the gag where the computer doesn't recognize his Russian accent. Yeah. I'm like, this is like the, I was about to call it the Trade Federation. This is like, (laughs) this is start, like, start, like, is it the whole idea? Are you going to, like, how do you even get the job? If the computer doesn't recognize a Russian accent, I assume it has to recognize alien accents. I mean, they they go to Aurora and say like, "Hey, can you speak Romulan?" It's like, "Oh yeah, the computer could tra- could like recognize Romulan, but maybe it can. Maybe it is racist because then they need people to translate it." But mm-hmm. that was a little bit like I'm like, "All right, cute joke, but really the computer cuz that's not going to be the only time he has a Russian accent. Maybe eventually it can learn, but I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It, it, he's he's kind of fun. It, um, there's a bit with him here that I will get back to later because I like how it eventually illustrates something with Kirk. But the whole thing is that Kirk is on the ship and he he can't, you know, his hands are bloating up, his, his mm-hmm. tongue's bloating up, but he essentially hears like sort of the explanation of what's happening. You know, I kind of like the the over the system like this is what's going on like uh, there was a lightning storm or whatever and he's like wait a minute i had a lightning storm on the day of my birth and i again this is where i started to really like oh they've really captured kirk here yes i agree yeah because eventually like all this stuff with the running gag which again it's like i think you can i think there's a lot you can debate whether or not that feels trekky i think it's more it's definitely an abrams thing but i don't mind it because i think again it just it gives the it does give the film a little personality. It still gives these characters ways to interact that are, that are different. And, and Bones kind of being like, God damn it. Like you've got another allergic reaction gives mm-hmm. a lot for Carl Urban to do, but eventually, you know, he makes his way to the, the bridge and confronts Pike. Who's like, you're not supposed to be here, but like Kirk Kirk's insistence on, on having this audience and just that he knows he's right. That, Hey, you wrote the dissertation on this. You know, that this lightning storm is the same thing. Uhura over there has heard weird things in space. You know, this thing has happened over here. This is a trap. This is not an actual, you know, signal. Well, you know what it, you know what it does? It makes him competent. And yes. it also makes him well-meaning, too. Because what I like about all this stuff is that very rarely is Kirk ever trying to make a power play and try to be like, I'm better. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he never yes. really does that. And the one time he does do that is there's a story purpose to it. Mm-hmm. which I like, and that comes later in the movie. But, like, he's coming, like, hey, listen, like, and then he's, like, he's trying to find her because it's, like, you you, you know this information, and I'm coming you because it's, like, you're you're walking into a trap. Like, I like how, uh, and I think story-wise it works because it's, like, as far as he's concerned, he doesn't really know how much that day really changed the course of his life. 
Like, you know, we know that it really did. But as far as he's concerned, like, it, it, it is something that did in some way, shape, or form. Yes. So, like, so I, I liked how all that well, was Well, it's just like the last time that this lightning storm appeared, like, mostly everybody died. His father had to sacrifice his life to keep people alive. So mm -hmm. he knows it's like, listen, if there's a lightning storm there, that's not a good sign. And eventually, like, you know, Pike kind of, believes him and yes and, you know, he, and, another thing i like when movies do is that they don't try to uh, generate he, too much drama he's like oh yeah maybe kirk knows and then you and they establish and that it, because pike is has always been in kirk's corner right and but even like the even let spock was like his logic is sound like yeah, like, spock, yeah good point he, even spock has to be like actually this there might be a point here and so they go red alert they have shields up and then they get there and like everything's been destroyed already you know that sort right. of thing very, very uh, pieces of Alderaan everywhere. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it just reminds me a lot. There's the in the new version of Star Tours where they all have the different scenes. There's one where you come out of hyperspace over Coruscant and there's like a battle already going on. And you're like mm -hmm. dodging stuff. And it's basically that. Uh, but they arrive at the Vulcan and that area and uh, they figure out that like, you know, something's blocking their signals. They can't hear anything. So, hey, like these these, you know, Kirk and Sula are going to go down the planet to kind of figure what's what's going on. Meanwhile, Pike is, you know, like going to go on board the Romulan ship because, you know, they've already been kind of accustomed, you know, you know, Nero's already kind of like said like, hey, like, oh, wait, no, sorry. I forgot another important Banna moment where like, obviously, like, like Banna's just going crazy. Nero is just like killing all these ships and they're like going to destroy the Enterprise. And then, like, Nero sees the name on the ship, and he's like, wait! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Zoom in on that I love ship it. number. Yeah. He's like, zoom he's like, in magnify. On he, he, also, he also does this great thing where he's like, oh, this is, like, they, they, um, they, uh, they FaceTime in, and then they're like, um, you know, he's like, oh, this is uh, Christopher Pike. And he's like, hello, Christopher, I'm Nero. <laughs> It's like that's that's great. I have to mention this one thing because you had mentioned it. The, the The Romulan ship is a silly ship. I mean, it's a badass looking ship, and it's really cool. It's visually interesting. But at one point in the movie, he 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 says like he's like in my time, this is a this is a simple mining vessel, right? Like they do that. Yeah. But it can like tear any ship to shreds. Uh, it's got like these drone missiles coming out of everywhere that it never seems to run out of it's got like a giant mining drill that also happens to jam the signal of any communicate <laughs> like it, it can do anything there, <laughs> and it, there is slight implications that because it's like even farther future that it's just is yes that that was what i have heard that is like that is like the explanation is like it's a simple mining vessel but it's also a simple mining vessel from like way in the future yeah, you know, so it's like another yeah. another 100 200 years, it's whatever. way more capable than yeah. like but i i always like am thrown but it is one of those things like wait so why is the mining drill also like a communication jammer like uh, that that's a little like right. wait the, what the only other thing i could think of is just because like again the romulans are kind of dicks and maybe they're like illegally mining on planets and like they can't they're not going to tell people but whatever i, whatever. I it just see it just seems like a very like convenient thing in the script where it's like we got to simplify this somehow so the drill is also a communication jammer so essentially what happens is pike is like you know he has to go on the on the romulan ship so he makes spot captain he makes kirk first officer 
um, and sends Kirk and Sulu to kind of get the jamming device and see what's going on with this drill or whatever on the planet. And Spock, meanwhile, is in space, you know, kind of doing all <laughs> Wait, stuff. Yes, this actually reminds me of the funniest part of this entire movie, right? Yeah. And that is, is that during this whole set piece, everybody just is not where they're supposed to be. <laughs> like, it's pretty, because it's like, all right, you, it's like Sulu uh, and, uh, and uh, Kirk, you're coming with me. Spock, you're in charge. Later in the scene, uh, Chekhov, you're in charge. Spock's leaves. And then Chekhov's like, I know how to do that. And then he leaves. <laughs> like, by the end, like, they need to come back to the to the board and then be like, what, where is it? <laughs> Who's in charge? <laughs> uh, I, I just always find that funny that everybody leaves the, the helm, like, yeah. during this scene. Uh, so, yeah, so on, on the planet, you know, we basically also get, like, a... a traditional star trek red shirt death where one of the unnamed like uh not unnamed but one of the like kind of like not you know major uh like engineers goes down but he's like his parachute is, is like hurled he gets like killed off spock and uh sorry um eventually they do land uh, kirk and sulu we get some sulu sword fighting kirk brawling eventually they kind of like kill all the romulans there. do you love that do you love that look where he's like what it's like what kind of combat training do you have fencing <laughs> like kirk's look at him <laughs> but then and then it turns out to be like but it's like badass sword fighting so yeah yeah for sure which is probably uh, the scene where it's like you know that is i think where you kind of have to fall i think that's the scene where you decide where you're in or out of this movie because now it's like like that's as swashbuckling as it gets <laughs> yeah but again it's like at, at the very least like that is within Star Trek canon, like we've seen on the original series, we've seen Sulu fence and sword fight. Sure, like, sure, but it's just the way in which it's like d- demonstrated. And, and what's like, kind yeah. of what, what is kind of nice about it from a Star Trek fan perspective is that in the original series, it would always be played for comedy. Like usually, it's when Sulu like there's like the one episode where they like all get high and he's kind of doing that stuff, or they're on the one planet where like it makes up all their their imagination. So there's that stuff as well. But like this one, it actually showcases that it's a serious thing, a serious talent for him. So it's kind of really nice. Oh, you know, another bit I like about that red shirt guy who died. Yeah. And this is another great Kirk character moment that illustrates what he's like. Because again, you could make it easy where it's just like he is like the guy like jumping into a fight like Kirk. But like this red shirt guy is like this overconfident, like. I can't wait to kick Romulan ass. Like, and then Kirk just, he had, Kirk has this moment where he's like, yeah, oh, all right. Okay. Calm down. <laughs> like, I, I just love that little moment because, but it's a great Kirk moment too, because it's like, you know, that's not who Kirk is. Like Kirk is not like, uh, he, he he's not diving into like danger. Just, just cause like, right. Like he's doing like, it for a reason. Or, yeah. And even like him, like at the end of that scene when Su- when they're going to get beamed back up and Sulu falls off and he like dives after him, right? Like, it's just mm-hmm. like, no, there was no second thought about it. There was no like, oh, like, well, like they're going to, you know, you know, they can't get us if we're moving or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. it's essentially like he like was like, well, I the only way this guy is going to be saved is I go after him and hold him, you know, and get him together with me. So it was a really nice moment there. Mm-hmm. And then, um. Yeah, and then uh, Spock goes to try to save as the Vulcan High Council. Right, because the whole thing is that they drill into the planet. There's this red matter, like, where they drop in, and it's like... And you're like, ooh, what's that? And then, essentially, it's like, uh, you know, Chekhov has to tell Spock, it's like, they're creating a black hole inside the planet, so, like, your whole society has minutes to survive. 
Like, yeah, and that's a great little moment too when he's like, "Well, how long does the planet have minutes?" And it's like, "Oh my god!" Like that's, you know, I think we're kind of. I think JJ should probably not destroy planets in his movies for a while. I think he's done it way too many times. But this is one of those where you're like, you're like, oh, like you feel like the danger because again, it's done in a way where you really don't know exactly what they're doing yet, and then that's the reveal of what they're doing, and it's all tastefully done. Or yeah, so Spock's like, hey, send us, you know, sell everybody, get off the planet as soon as possible, like whatever we can, we can. And then Spock's like, well, I have to go get the high console because that's our entire history. That's our entire, you know, like culture is within them. They know all of our history, all of our culture. And to preserve our that history, I have to go save them. And on top of that, like his his dad and his mom are going to be there yeah. you know, mm-hmm. at that moment. So he goes, there's a, again, this is that feels very tricky, like the little moment where it's Spock going through like the destroying planet to go save. That's such a Star Trekky sort of visual and moment. He gets like the console out there about the beam, everybody. His mom is looking at the destruction of the planet, sort of like, you know, a gas. And then her her little section of the, the mountain falls right as they're getting so frustrating, up. so frustrating. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. So then, you know, then she dies and, and he's all bummed and out it's about like, it. Yeah. I'm sad it is, too. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a, one of those things where it's like I, it's for the story they want to tell. It's necessary. Do you have to kill the character? And I'm gonna I'm just gonna say it. Do you have to? Isn't it enough that the planet got blown? Up? <laughs> Do you yeah, really need and it it's to like, be? And like I know it's like we we never you know there's only really before this two major appearances of Spock's mom in this move in in the canon you know in in what we've seen. But both of those, she's such a really fun character to play off of Spock and. Obviously, like, I mean, I know some of her scenes were cut out and like even before filming and after filming, but like Winona Reiner doesn't get much to do with that character in this movie. And it's essentially, you know, she's there to die. Well, yeah. And because I, I, I know how they would justify it. They would justify it because it's not only Spock, but you need both Spock and Sarek to have a moment where they have to they have no choice but to confront this human side of them, because you could argue that somebody like Spock or Sarah could logically work themselves through the destruction of their planet. Yeah. Now, I, I think you could have done that because that's so massive because nobody expected a planet to be destroyed in a matter of minutes. So, like, that could have been interesting. It's like maybe they are bent up that their entire culture was just destroyed. Like, everything – like, that to me it would be interesting because – you've set up this whole thing in the movie where they're so strict about their culture and their ways that when all of that's destroyed, like, you know, what, what happens and like, and they were, and they rejected Starfleet and now they're being saved by Starfleet. Uh, You know, I don't mean to rewrite the movie, but I I think those were some other options. And I think you really could have done more like, hey, like, you know, he confronts his emotions again, you know, he still gets angry at Kirk in that one scene later. And then maybe, you know, he goes, you know, his mom's there and, you know, they finally get the workout. Like it is like important that you have these and, you know, you are, you know, who you are and you can't, you know, don't hide the fact. Like I I really have always loved the relationship that Spock and his mom has had. And it it Mm -hmm. is. And again, it's just like, there is a point where, you know, it's not like total, you know, it's not the fridging in the way that we know fridging, but there is a sense of like the, the general consensus of, killing a character just to motivate like another one. Oh yeah. yeah you know, it, I'm not a fan of that. It, there's just a point where it just gets tiring. 
Now, now what they also could have done too is the parallel between, but because of all of this Nero business, he lost his mom and Kirk lost his dad. But they never bond over that. That's the thing. It's right. like if that was at least some, that would to me at least be something more constructive because then it would not just be like you're just fridging the mom. It's it's literally be, that like these two had lost both. Like I mean, Kirk lost his dad. Right at the end like, of the day, gonna, like he really did. Kill a character like that. It's got to be something like a JJ would eventually do with like Han in Force Awakens, where like at least you give a whole movie to like re- establish these relationships with these characters, and then you kind of have the big moment. Like again, right. like we only we before this we've seen Winona Ryder in one scene, and it's also like kind of a bummer because up until this point, like we get it, Spock is the guy you follow and you want to like him most, but like there you don't even get a sense of like what what I think is a bit of a weakness that you 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 just can't do within a short amount within a feature length time period well you could have done it but it's hard to do is that we know through the franchise of star trek that her relationship with Sarek and him being vulcan and her being human there's value to it it's complicated but you get it you understand when you watch this movie everybody's just kind of been a dick about that she's a human (laughs) And that, like, he has a human mom. So you kind of even wonder, like, oh, my God, like, everybody was just kind of, like, kind of rude about Mm -hmm. this or, like, very emotionless about this. And then, and you know, and then he comes around and says, like, I did like your mom. I'm like, well, I fucking hope so. Like, you you know, it is a nice moment where you asked me once why, you know, I married your mom. I I married her because I loved her. You know, it's Mm -hmm. just like kind of that admitting that, like, even he had that emotion. But it, it, it's just it's just kind of like it's one of those things when you rewatch it, it's just it just the more I see it in movies and the more I see it in blockbusters, especially kind of like a sequel reboot type things. Yeah, it's like, why? Why you have to kill him? Like, I, again, I don't. it's like. Yeah, it's that way, because it's just you haven't had enough time to justify it, like. OK. Really brief spoilers about No Way Home. Oh, yeah. But the way that they, the Aunt May situation in that movie (laughs) is so emotionally effective because we've had, you know, two Spider-Man movies and, you know, uh, her first appearance in Civil War to get that relationship and that character. So when, you know, when, you know, everything happens to her, it, it makes you feel something. And that's what a death in a movie should be when you've had time with the character to really invest and and showcase the relationship and how it's important, because then what happens after that makes sense for that character, because you've been with them, you've been through it with them. And and there is also a way to do it, like like that moment that you're talking about is not only portrayed as like a massive moment but it's also a massive moment on a built as a building block on a bigger thematic of other things that build upon that sacrifice or whatever you want to call it as well you know what i mean so it's not like because like when you watch this like when you watch the 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 the, like a death like in this movie it really well i don't know you you don't even have to go to another movie compare it to earlier in the movie like you just the way in which Kirk's dad dies, which is like a sacrifice or a, a death that motivates what happens as the movie goes on. But that feels much different than just killing off Winona Ryder to make Spock sad. Yeah. 
ages like because it's like when 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 he dies like you feel that moment and maybe it's because they make it a moment as much about him as much as it is about kirk as much as it is about like the star trek legacy like what does this mean whereas like this is just like Winona Ryder is like, what? <laughs> and she just died. It's Fox well, like, yeah, no, cause, cause, that's cause a bummer. You, you don't even get to like the last, like, I love you, son. Like, you know, like that sort of like last moment, but that, that tragic last moment. It's just like, oh, my God, the rock fell right when they were that. Oh, she's dead. Yeah. And it's also like, what are you doing? Like, like having her all the way at the edge of a rock. Yeah. Like, like bring her in, Spock. Like, you guys get close to you. You went down to the planet. Like, what are you doing? Yeah, I don't know. It, it, it's. Yeah, it's something that like it's when I rewatch it, it's like I just, I just think it's a that's a a, a trope in movies that I a, that I, and just storytelling that I just oh wish. wait a minute I actually no I'm vindicated and I get that he's older Spock but later in the movie and I get that this is now a Spock who's gone through his entire life so he's a little bit more in touch with himself than so maybe I, this doesn't prove my point but it kind of does because. There's a whole way more emotional po- like point being made in the movie where they reveal that old Spock spoilers old Spock is in the movie. He like he's on the planet and he's watching his his uh his Vulcan get destroyed and he has this whole thing it's like like I felt that whole thing. Like like that was a real bummer to see that. This fucking sucks. And I was and I couldn't do anything about it. And you feel that way more than like Winona Ryder just like falling off of a cliff, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, you do. It, it was just, it's just it's just a trope in movies and television and, and comics and everything that I just just wish would just like it's just such an easy kind of cop out sometimes. It really, yeah. just feels that way. But we get this whole next scene too. So from from that, the Rom, you know, near on the Romulan ship have gone. Pike is gone. Um, you know, we've, we're getting the whole like I watched it happen, I saw it happen, whatever. Uh, they're 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 getting trying to get the device coming. Meanwhile, on um, um, on the Enterprise, they're essentially discussing like what to do next, right? Because Spock is captain. They can't. Pike's not there. So Spock's whole thing is that he wants to go back uh, to Starfleet and rendezvous and come up with a plan. And Kirk is the gung ho, like, no, dude. Like, obviously, like he just destroyed a planet. Like, let's go after him. Let's finish this. Let's get Pike. We'll, let's finish it off. And then this is where they kind of start figuring out, right? Like Spock's kind of figured out that Nero said like, uh, you know, Spock is, is Spock there. I want you to watch this. And so they've kind of figured out like there's time travel nonsense going in, which I do want to briefly mention this, that this is something that Trek fans at a whole, it, this is where a lot of the disconnect in terms of the timeline stuff comes up because they, oh, right, yeah. Cause this is like the big scene where they like explain. Right. Cause it's just it's just a matter of traditionally in Trek, time travel has been regarded as if something changes, it wipes out the whole timeline. Whereas this movie presents it as it's an alternate timeline and those other adventures. Oh, exist. I see. OK, so this is where a lot of Trek fans take umbrage with that explanation. But, you know, at the end of the day. So, like what they're is, saying is traditionally in Trek, when they go back and get the whales it's just that it's basically like everything is consistent like where it's just like it's just the whales are just not there anymore it's not like there's another timeline well where there's no whales well this is here's what i would compare like the the 
so in one sense, like the whale thing, there is a sense of like, okay, that's like time travel that was supposed to happen type of thing, right? That that's the whole thing where it's like that's sort of a, a self-fulfilling prophecy. Whereas like more so in Trek, like the the famous uh, in, the famous example of this is Guardian on the Edge of Forever, where Kirk saves that one woman's life and she convinces, you know, oh, don't go into World War II, United States. Hitler takes over the world. Right, so right. Okay. When they get when they get back, oh, the Enterprise isn't there because the Enterprise never existed. So they're it's kind of more this- of a Back to the Future deal. Yes, yeah. yes. So that's where like a lot of Trek fans get upset, where it's like, oh, well, you know, this isn't traditional Trek lore but Uh maybe yeah but but it's also like to to a degree you know again there's no explanation that like well maybe there is alternate timeline it's just that you always end up in in the new future but this is i just wanted i just wanted to mention that because that's where a lot of criticism and conceivably it is valid it is it is no 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 i mean uh, oh my god i can't believe i'm about to argue time travel which is pointless but it's like no but that does that that but like let's say like that's only if you go back right Right. So like, no, so this would still work. So you could go into, it would be different if we saw both time periods, but like Nero and them come into the, like the, this timeline. Yeah. They kill, they, they, they wreck havoc. So then whatever happens, happens after that. Yeah. I, I, I so also that's still like, yeah, it's, it's still a, time travel, but like, you could also like, honestly, you could even argue that like it is time travel or the wormhole just brought them into another like mirror universe. So it's no, like, but I'm, but I'm saying that the, I'm saying that Star Trek fans are wrong is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Cause I'm saying like, if they went back, if like, let's say Nero, let's say Spock went back to his own time yeah. then he would be going back to a time where Vulcan doesn't exist. Right. So it still works. Yeah. I mean, I mean, maybe people are getting like hung up on the, it's an alternate timeline, but it is an alternate timeline. Yeah. So it, it, it still works. So what yeah. I'm trying, yeah. So yeah, Star, just, Star I think Trek people, fans people, are wrong. I think people say like, oh, but it erased it. It's like, well, no, those things still exist on Blu-ray. I'm sorry. Like, oh, oh, it's it's the petty fan. Yeah, it's the pe- it's more the petty fan thing. Oh, okay. Which, yeah, it's not. They that. they want it. They want it. They want a uh, Terminator sal- uh, salvation or Genesis, whatever. Dark fate, right? Is it dark fate? Whatever one ignores the other one. They want a situation like that so they can be like, oh, we can ignore the other ones. Yeah. That's oh! what me make I just want I just wanted to bring that up. I think it was an important point. But that's thing- fine. And, and I'm and I'm glad to put them in their place because they're wrong. The important thing here is that Spock Spock and Kirk have a very much a difference of opinion to what to do. And Kirk and Spock again uses sort of his power as captain to to banish Kirk from the ship because he kind of you know basically says well Kirk tried to instill a mutiny or whatever even though Kirk's just trying to like do the right thing couple couple things about this Spock is a dick um I love the bit where Kirk is sitting in the chair very Kirk like and then Spock's like out of the chair (laughs) I like that um and uh we get the Vulcan neck pinch Yes, which is just another tasteful little uh yeah not a big deal but it's like you know something you know yeah, because uh, it so, would have been easy for it to have been like, what did you do to him? It's like, oh, well, it's the Vulcan neck. You know what I mean? It was just kind of like thrown in there. You know what it is. That's what I, I really think that. I don't know. The more I think about this movie, the more I feel like J.J. just had a lot more finesse with it than he even had with the franchise that allegedly he likes even more. Like mm-hmm. there's just little things like that because it doesn't feel like a fan servicey moment like. It just, no, feels, it just like feels like natural, natural for the yeah. character. So Kirk gets banished to the snow planet and like gets attacked by three different monsters ish. Yeah. 
It runs. There's away. always a bigger fish. Yeah, and it's, uh, it runs away into a cave, and finally we get to meet Spock Prime. That, you know what? That is kind of what's a little bit dumb about it because it's one monster, and then it's another monster. <laughs> yeah, that's really the thing. If it was just one, hey, I got to run into this cave, I think it would be a fine Star Trek thing. It really is the sense of, like, it feels like they're on Hoth. It's like, okay, well, here's, like, a Tauntaun chasing me. Uh-oh, there's a Wampa here, too. Oh, no, there's, like, a... Uh, it's a snow rancor. Like... <laughs> hey, I, I, I was going to say snow sarlacc, but, you know. <laughs> oh, Can you imagine a snow sarlacc? Oh. That'd be pretty sick. That'd be the worst. Um, but I, I think you, I think actually could have been like, hey, he he sees a monster, he runs to the cave, it's Spock. But hey, or he could have just found whatever. He could have just found the cave. But whatever gets us to Spock, and the one well, thing I love. Well, sorry, sorry, no, but, but I, it does need a monster because I need that little bit of old Spock waving that torch around, being like, <laughs> yeah. get off. Get out of here, monster. Shoo! Shoo! Get out of here! Get out of here! <laughs> like, he does. It's like he's waving back a raccoon. Like, he's like, get out of here! Shoo! Yeah. Get but, like, it gets us to Spock, and that's the one thing that's been so much of a pleasure watching all the old Treks. It's just, Nimoy just kills it. Crushes it. He's awesome. And he continues to be awesome even in this. I'm so glad he's in this movie. And, and the one reason I was going to say is what I like about him being in this and why I really am staunch about like why well, i think it's really good that kirk isn't in any of these movies like old shatner kirk is what i mean because like to me it's like spock just seems like the type of character who would still be doing things out in the universe and the galaxy that would get him into things like this and be maybe it's because of his lifespan yeah right and then yes. because it's like but like you know i i imagine like kirk eventually will retire or die, I mean, depending on, like, you know, what timeline you're going. But, you know, he just seems like he would have a much more human life, where Spock would be the one It's like, oh, yeah, we decided to use black hole technology on this planet, and now I ended up in another timeline. Right, yeah. So, first of all, I want to say that I love the reaction of, of uh, Kirk to, like, what, like when Spock introduces himself, like, I'm Spock, and he's like, bullshit. Like, I just like that little moment. Uh, but I like... No, the- doesn't, doesn't he say... Doesn't he say he's Spock, and he's like... And he says, I have and will always be your friend. And then doesn't he say bullshit after that? Or is it after one of the two? I think it's like after that. Like, I think it's like because they think it's like, well, my, I, I am Spock. And he's like, bullshit. Then he's like, you know, like, you know, like, I'm always be your friend. Like, or you're not the captain. Like that sort of stuff. Is did did you did you like the have and always will be your friend too much or tasteful? I think it was nice. I think that one's a little nice for me. I think he just delivers it so well. Yeah. Like, oh my God, like it's such a, because it really should not, it really should be too fanservice-y, but the way he says it, you're like, oh, because you know he means, but Spock also seems like the kind of guy who was like, yeah, I nailed it the first time I said that right before I died. (laughs) Yeah. So like that, that, that's my (laughs) go-to. Especially older Spock would definitely have that feeling. (laughs) And, And as the movie goes on, that and that's actually what's more enriching about this now that I've seen the journey of Spock and all those other movies and like everything else. So his shenanigans are way more entertaining in this movie. Oh, 100% because we'll get to it. But like I, I like the mind meld um, here. I like the the, ex- the explanation of what happened to Spock is that like again, he was trying to build peace between Romulus and Vulcan. A star, a plant, a star was, you know, supernova that was going to destroy Romulus. So he got all the fastest ship to like make a black hole. But unfortunately, like he was too late, you know, and, um, you know, Nero blamed him. They went through the wormhole together and, and that sort of thing. Nero captured him, captured the red matter, black hole technology and made him watch, which, again, you're right, is much more emotionally effective of watching, you know, 
uh, Spock on this planet watch Vulcan be destroyed without any means of doing anything. Um, and so there's that whole thing. And essentially, like, they're kind of coming up with this plan to, like, you know, hey, like, we got to get you back on the Enterprise because you and Spock, like, you have to, you know, work together to, to, to stop Nero from doing whatever else he's going to do. Uh, they go to this other outpost. Um, well, I, I want to say that like, again. Oh, wait, no, hold on. No, sorry to interrupt. I'm even more vindicated, actually. I don't know why they killed the mom. I'm sorry, because it's like, not only is that scene great, and, I, and I'm and i still, why? What's so funny? I just like that we keep going back to this, and you're completely, I want to hear it. You're completely right. Like No, because it's like, because it, it's, because and it just works with like what you know about Vulcans because they're so tied to their culture and how they are that this would be a devastating thing but old Spock says in the movie hey because at one point he's like how do you know that your younger self will be emotionally compromised and he's like well my whole planet was just destroyed trust me I will be emotionally compromised so even Spock says (laughs) even Spock makes that point he doesn't even know Mom got killed like because he wouldn't know because kirk i guess I, I mean i guess kirk would know but like i mean i don't know maybe i'm misremembering that line but i do remember him saying that my whole planet got yeah he's like trust me i will be emotionally compromised that's just yeah. so much more emotionally interesting to me I, I just like okay i was gonna go back and say before we get to where scotty comes in yeah sorry i, I just i just remembered that because yeah, that yeah. scene is so good yeah but i i like that again you get to see like old spock like kind of take in with kirk and and kirk's getting a little bit of that dynamic like slightly already with like old spock because old spock is already much more emotionally you know like mature than this younger spock is um you know, and, and Spock's taking in like, hey, there is timeline changes. Kirk's not the captain yet because he's like, oh, like, how'd you find me? Like, of course, because you're Kirk. But it's like, wait a minute. Like, you're not the captain. No, Spock's the captain. All right. Like, all right. Remember this regular. And then he gets back to the regulations. Remember this regulation. Like you can you can discharge a captain if he's mostly compromised by the mission. So we got to get you back on somehow. How are we going to get back on somehow? Well, there's an outpost here. We'll, we'll figure it out from there. So, yeah. And they get to the Starfleet outpost. Yeah. And they they find the little walnut man. Deep Roy. Yep, Deep Roy. Is the actor's name, but yep. also could just be a sci-fi name. It, could, it really could be. It could be. That's it, like, like Keenster is like the character's name. Like yeah. the little guy. Yeah, I guess he has it. But then we're introduced to Simon Pegg, which I am glad we are. I still feel like this is the only part in the movie that kind of feels like the least organic way to yeah. get him in. And, and it's humorous because they have these like little lines where he's like, I was kind of like uh, like uh, stationed out here as punishment because I tried to teleport a dog, and that's a reference to I guess what Deep Space Nine, like yeah. the captain in it. But it's like it, well, it's, it's, it's a reference to Enterprise because it's Archer. Yeah, yeah. It, it's fun. It does what it, it needs to do, but there is a little bit where even I have to wonder. It's like, well, wait, why is this his origin because of the timeline? Like that was like. Right, you know, yeah. whatever. The, the least elegant way of doing it, I thought, but it, it was fine. It did what it needed to do. Uh, but eventually, like Spock introduces uh, um, uh, Scotty to his own theory on transwarp uh, 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 travel, um, and sort of like I think again, I think Spock just like went. It's like you know, he he went to a, like fuck it from the uh, like the the same sort of thing that Scotty did in the uh, voyage home, where it's like, let me just introduce this to you. Like, well, yeah, well, that's why. Again, that's why I love that we went back and watched those movies because now even like how Spock handles all of this is just is really funny. Like, yeah. it's just like 
like and again they kind of allude to like it's it's really not that big of a deal if we if we bend the rules a little bit (laughs) yeah uh but this is this there's a nice payoff to this bit but essentially like they're going to go it's him and scotty are going to go on this transwarp mission they're going to get on the enterprise which is at warp speed and and kirk's like well aren't you going to come with us spock is like no like i i can't you can't mention me to my younger self you can't do this like i it must be important that like you do this, you know, for the sake of yourself and the ship and the, in the universe, like, and, and that, and, and there's, you could ask the question, but like, really why can't old Spock join? But the more and more I've learned about Spock, like Spock does seem to be the kind of the guy who like, there, there is that level of him where he's like, you know, these people still need to do their, their own thing, like do right, their own like, thing. Yeah. I can't like do everything for them. And I yeah, think he, he'd say he knows that like, Kirk needs to get to the place where he's captain. And and also he knows that Kirk needs to get Spock to the place where he is. I think that's really the important thing is that he knows that like Kirk's leadership and his style and his friendship with Kirk is what made Spock become Spock. And I think he knows that like, why well, can't just go and say like, okay, you got to be friends with this guy. Now you got to respect his leadership. Like, well, he, to- he, he's the guy who would f- follow the prime directive as much as he can. Like, yeah. it's like, it's still that level of like, don't interfere. Let the, let it yeah. go the well, way he, it like I said, he knows that he needs that Kirk needs Spock and Spock needs Kirk and they need to do that together. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Um, and then, uh, then we get to live long and prosper, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Nimoy's just great in the movie. Like yeah. he's just awesome. Yeah, he's I mean, he's, he's he's always awesome. Like he, there's never a point where he's never been awesome. It, it, it reminds me a lot of like how, but it, it's a little bit different because again, he's never not been. But it's very similar in in the in the the legacy, like how JJ brought like Harrison Ford back as the legacy character, and just how good he was in Force Awakens. Very similar with. Nimoy, and even though Nimoy's always been in tune with this character, it's just that feeling of the legacy character really feeling like they should be there and they're doing a good job is very similar in both scenarios, I think. A hundred percent. Yeah. Um, but then they yeah, they get to the ship, they accidentally get uh transported into into a water tube. Just kind of well, well Scotty does. Scotty does, yeah. Yeah, again, a very sort of like Abramsy scene for so. Yeah, it, it's a it's a set piece for a set piece. Say. It is kind of funny that I am noticing that about Abrams. Like, there may be like, like, does there need to be a set piece here? Yeah, but I, I think he's just kind of into that like that fun. I think he yeah. always wants to have like right. propulsive fun. So right, and so that's it's because of that that they get caught. Spock sees them on the board, and then the 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 one uh, security guard that like uh, Kirk kind of beat up when he was when he was grabbing boobies in the bar all those years ago like <laughs> like gets him again cupcake and then isn't we- that funny that that was years ago and he yeah. still had like you can, he's been waiting he's been, he's been waiting three years to call Kirk. him cupcake what is this guy let it go dude. <laughs> It's just a, just another Nero, Will. Just another oh Nero. Oh my God! Oh, please have him be the villain in the fourth movie. You reveal him in like the third act, and he's like, "How's it going, Cupcake?" <laughs> no, 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 no. We we do it as uh, a uh, Spider-Man um, Far From Home situation where like, oh, he's the scrap, uh, the 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 yeah, box like, of scraps guy, like, right? Like he, we reveal him like he's like shaved his mustache, and we kind of don't recognize him. But then like that's the big twist. He's like he's on the villain side. He's like, how's it going, Cupcake? Wait a minute. 
That's and you. Then it, they flash back. I just think that's so funny. I just realized that for the first time. He's been waiting three years to call him Cupcake. Like, it's not even like, you're right. It's not even like he shows up and you're like, oh, yeah, those two had a, like, didn't get along. Like, he remembered <laughs> that he this, called him Cupcake this three one, years ago. Th- this one bar fight years ago. And he's like, I one day I am going to get the upper hand on him and I can't wait. I'm going to call him Cupcake. <laughs> So they uh, they go in. Oh my god! Uh, they bring Spock to, or sorry, they bring Kirk and, and Scotty to uh, the bridge. They, I'm sorry, I can't. I'm still thinking about the cupcake thing. It's just <laughs> even the way he says it. It's like <laughs> you're coming with me, cupcake. Cupcake. <laughs> waits that long i never noticed that <laughs> like has he just been oh oh my like, god I, I think i feel like he was like he didn't necessarily know oh. and then he was running up he's like wait a minute that's the cupcake guy oh, now's, my cupcake. Opportunity. <laughs> now's my opportunity i can't remembers that he this guy did they just watched the planet get destroyed did he even know he was on the ship before (laughs) oh my god all right all right i'm sorry i'm sorry everybody it's just every now and then I actually had a, I, I asked the question recently of somebody, what's the last thing that made you laugh so hard you cried? And I think this may be mine. Oh my God, that's so funny. And I also, but you know why? Can I, can I just go off a brief thing? This is why I do love movies and I love movies like this. I love like, because, you know, especially like you and I, like, you know, we've, years and years of living with Star Wars, like we find little kind of details like that, that like these little, obscure details that remind us of real world like bullshit and like it's just the re like that's why movies are good and that's why i fucking love movies and i fucking love talking about movies because you just realize things like that yeah like it's just like these little things that probably nobody thought about maybe other than like a fleeting reference during production but Then now I'm just realizing it now. All right. Anyway, so they're on the ship. Sorry about that. Sorry yeah. About so that Kirk tangent. and Kirk and Scotty go up to the bridge, and and uh, you know, and Kirk's whole bit is like, well, he has to elicit an emotional response out of Spock, and you know, he basically like, you know, he doesn't allow Scotty to like say like, how did you like, you know, how did you transport on this ship at warp speed? Like, wasn't really, you know, don't tell him anything. You know, he's basically like, oh man, do you even feel? Do you even emote, man? Like. You know, kind of almost the opposite of like what the boys were doing on Vulcan, where they're like, right. oh, man, like you feel too much, don't you, kid? I wonder what it's like to feel. He's like, you don't feel you don't like you don't even cry when your mom died. I'm sure. Right. Like you don't mm-hmm. even care. And then if I, Spock chokes him out, realizes immediately like that, like, hey, like I'm emotionally compromised. Like and then what I love this reaction. to, I wish I could get out of my job that way. <laughs> I wish I wish some days I could be like, hey, uh, I'm emotionally compromised, so I'm going to have to bow out for the day. <laughs> yeah, just re- just remember, this is like in a utopian Earth American. Society. That's true. That's true. He he would probably even get paid leave for yeah. it. Like you would probably get paid. Keep I'm, I'm just going to turn on the air conditioning. Keep talking. Yeah. Um, 
So, yeah, and it, it's really like, again, I think this is where having someone like Quinto um, is good because, again, it's just like you never, you know, we, 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 when we met Spock in the original series and everything, you, you never really had an opportunity, you know, to see Spock emote in that specific sense and that much anger. Well, so seeing the young Spock and seeing Quinto kind of go full, like, angry Spock here. And like just choking out the dude is it, it, it's just like it, it, it wraps up like this idea that like well, these characters still have room to grow, even if they are kind of close to the places where we see them. It's also like good for the audience, too, if you're not as well initiated, because you it's just good information that you know what a Vulcan is capable of. Mm-hmm. Like, because that is something that I think like if you didn't really know, like they kind of like slowly reveal these like they reveal like with and again in a smart way without actually having to force feed you the information they do things like oh they have the vulcan neck pinch and i kind of know what that is but it's a good reminder that i can know that they can do that i kind of remember what the mind meld is but oh good reminder that they can do that it's like i guess i kind of remember that like vulcans can go nuts and they have like you know they're a little stronger but this is a good reminder that they that this that still pertains so i like that how economical all that yeah. is i love uh so i love bones's reaction to like realizing that kirk's gonna be captain where he's like well like what look what you do. oh i gotta mention dude there's an earlier scene where bones where urban goes full bones when he's like angry at, at at like uh spock for kicking kirk off the thing it's like like may i speak may i speak freely like by all means like have you lost your mind like just so <laughs> have you lost your Vulcan mind? Is it you lost is your that... Vulcan mind? Like, you know, and then it's like, well, you got to like thoroughbred. You know, and then there's a whole thing where it's like, you know, we had a whole thing. Oh, yeah. We had a whole thing at home that like, you know, you, you don't like, you know, you don't like take your best horse out of the Kentucky Derby. Like you don't take your best stallion. It's like, well, like that isn't logical because like, sometimes you need to break your stallions, don't you know? And then it's like you, you green blooded hobgoblin. Love it. I mean, it was uh, like it was like Spock trying to send him to that outpost like did he know otherwise he just left him there no but i think he was just trying to justify it like hey like if he's if he's that good if he's that smart like like he'll figure his way off like you know i think he kind of knew that at least i don't think that's gonna stand up to a court martial or whatever especially especially not star trek universe court martial. yeah i don't think like they go in that little they go in that little box and they're all like yeah i think tyler perry's gonna be really upset about that one i don't i don't know if he's gonna but, the, but, I was, but I mentioned this to the whole reaction of Bones, like, well, look what she did now. Like, we don't have a captain. And, like, we don't have our first officer. Like, what are we going to do? It's like, well, you know that, like, you know, we don't have a first officer to become captain. Like, what the hell are we going to do? Well, you know, like, Pike's last thing was, like, he made Kirk first officer. you got to be kidding me. That, that, that is funny. Like, because like, <laughs> I love how, like, Sulu was like, oh, yeah, I remember that. He, yeah. he did do that. Yeah. So that, but, that all that stuff is good. All right. So this is where I really felt like they captured Kirk. And like, I really kind of like this little detail. I love this so much. We watching this movie. So earlier in the film, when Kirk hears the idea of like, oh, there was this lightning storm, right? There was a lightning storm at, uh, over Vulcan. Pike has Chekhov do the briefing over the mics like Mm -hmm. it's like okay like check off this is your job do the briefing like this is what you need to do okay like oh here's the briefing everybody i love that when kirk's captain the first thing he does is go over the intercoms Mm -hmm. and and give 
a Kirk speech himself and give mm-hmm. a brief, give the briefing. This is what we're going to do. I know it's not what you were expecting, but you know, and, and it gives a classic Kirk out. Cause I was like, that is why Kirk is an amazing captain. And I love yeah, this idea like that, that like, I love this idea. That's like, normally like someone else on the bridge would give this briefing because the captain's doing other stuff, but Kirk is important to showcase himself as a leader and the leader of the entire crew that he is giving this message directly. And I, I absolutely love that detail. I'm like, okay, they know the character of Kirk. And I, I knew it at this point, but they're like, they know, they absolutely know how to capture this character. And it's, it's yeah. so good. Yeah, no, I think, I think all that stuff's good. And then, um, then we enter the third act, which is crazy. It is. I mean, yeah. basically like Nero saw it happen, watched it happen. Don't tell him it didn't happen. He's guys have basically gotten earth's defense codes out of Pike due to like, a another slug thing, you know, another slug thing that's like, I'll tell you, I'll make you tell me the truth. Like a lot of like weird slugs in the Star Trek universe. Essentially. Yeah. I wonder if that's just a whole category of slugs in the Star Trek world where it's yeah, like but, mind, mind slugs, mind slugs. Yeah. Is this a regular slug or a mind slug? <laughs> yeah. So uh, basically like they're going to do the same thing to vault of earth that they did the Vulcan. So they catch up with Nero's ship and essentially like the plan is okay. Like Spock and Kirk are going to go onto the ship. Um, to like you know stop Nero and everything because they're gonna get this this ship back and everything like that. Whereas like um, you know Sulu's gonna kind of take control of the Enterprise and it's sort of like hey like if if you have an opportunity to take down this ship take it down even if we're on it. Like again very Kirk stuff out there. Um, love the again this felt like a very Star Trekky bit where um, it felt like a very Star Trekky joke and I like that it kind of played with like the youngness where it's like. And, and and Scotty's unfamiliarity with other ships, which has always been a really fun little gag throughout these mo- movies and shows where like Spock's like, they're like, you're going to like transport us somewhere like safe. Right. And Kirk's like, and Scotty's like, if this ship has any sensical design and putting you in the cargo bay and then they like get there and they're like right in like the engine room or whatever. Yeah. With all yeah. The other, with all the overcomes. So, like, of course, like Scotty doesn't know like how any other ship in the universe works. Uh, which is great. So they have to fight it off. And again, it's a nice little like Trek scene where they're like, "Uh Oh, like everybody going that way. Um, and meanwhile, like on earth, they're basically the enterprise is like, well, we got to figure out a way to like get this drill out of here so we can get communications and everything like that. Right. So. Cause it's a drill that also is a communications jammer. Yes. And meanwhile, the drill is like getting, it's going right next to that San Francisco golden gate bridge, more culture destroyed here on earth. Mm-hmm. Starfleet, Starfleet Academy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and then they do a classic um, infiltrating the ship. Bit yes, yeah, yeah they they do that. Um, well, because I think again, you get the whole like bit earlier where like Spock says like, well, I can do the thing on Vulcan because Vulcans and Romulans share a history, so we, uh, you know, we can, uh, I can blend in easier. And Kirk's like, I'm gonna go with you. It's like, well, that's not regulation, but I'm sure you're gonna break that anyway. You know it, baby. Like that sort of thing. Uh, but then, no, great, great ship. Oh, and then he does it. He does like the big arm, the shoulder the slap, sh- <laughs> which the, the is great. Sh- the shoulder pad. And then, like, and then, uh, and then Spock just turns. It's kind of gives like a, like a little eyebrow, like, like, mm, like, yeah, like, that's weird. I, I did like that. That's fun. Well, they, I think they kind of like, well, they go, they eventually get Spock into old the Sp- uh, Spock Prime ship. And he quickly realizes that, like, you know, he quickly puts together that like, hey, there's stuff that you haven't been telling me because the ship is like from the future and it, it recognizes him as kind of like or like Ambassador Spock and everything like that. So he kind of like has some ideas of what's going on. Um, but eventually they're like, listen, man, like we just got to get out there. So uh, 
Spock takes Spock Prime's little fast little ship and, you know, goes on the planet and takes out the drill before it could get too bad. And, you know, there, it's just it's just a lot of fun stuff in this last sequence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I like I like how it all I like how it's all played. Um, and it's interesting the role that Nero plays in it because they put the they put the Nero character in an interesting position where he doesn't really have a beef with our main characters as we know them. So that's it's kind of an interesting dynamic where his beef specifically was with Spock Prime. So it's interesting how he like he he's kind of tangentially dealing with like just the legacy of Starfleet. Like there there is this kind of fun moment that I it's very unique in a movie and with a plot like this is like you know Kirk is like Kirk. He's like our lead guy. He's like our leading man and he's Kirk is like a footnote in Nero's scheme. Right. Like he's just kind of like, cause he's just, cause Nero's a dick and he's like filled with revenge. Like his only thing he says to Kirk, he's like, Hey, like in my time, you're supposed to be an awesome captain, but not now. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, it's just kind of like, here's just another thing I'm going to take away from Starfleet. Yeah. But it, it, I just thought that was a, that was a really interesting dynamic. I thought. Right. And I think he's just like, I think the other thing about Nero that we should mention is like, he's kind of like his big thing now is like, well, you know, he got rid of Vulcan, got his revenge, but he's essentially like, well, you know what? I'm just going to like take the Federation out of the equation. So it never affects Romulus. Like, mm-hmm. like the whole, the Vulcans, the Federation, none of that's going to like, you know, touch our planet and we'll, we'll be fine. We'll be okay. Um, and so that's why he's kind of going after earth. But, uh, you know, Kirk eventually again, bees Kirk. He like kills like Nero's friend and like saves Pike and everything like that. And, and, and Spock uses, you know, the ship to stop the drill and they eventually lead Nero away from the planet to like basically kind of trick him, you know, kind of like, hey, you ruined my plan get get me. And then uh, they essentially like have the ship, you know, you know, they create the black hole. They have the ship, you know, com- you know, the well, it, it, what, what's fun about all this. It's like it's kind of like not interesting to explain, but I will say that the way in which all of this is directed, edited and paced together it like it really does work like like you know like it's funny because i love that trick where you know that the enterprise is still in commission like you know it's just it's just out of range it's just not engaging in battle but then when they get to that point where it's like the the spock and his little tiny squid ship is like going towards the ship and they're like all right go after him and then and then like the and then the tensions raise up and you're like, all right, blow him out of the sky or whatever he says. And then like a guy on a computer, he's like, we have an incoming ship. And then the Enterprise comes in and then like and then the music blasts and then they start shooting at each other. It just all just works like it's yeah. just exciting. And it, 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 it the, the pace of it is great. And then also and I feel like you can follow everything, too. Like you, you can follow that, like, you know, all the different like Kirk is trying to get pike and spock is creating a distraction and he has the red matter and and, you know, I, I, and all that and stuff. i've liked at this point that we feel you know it's again like maybe uh, once again like the tertiary characters like you know, the, the students don't get like the whole lot to like really like do with the movie but there is like moments where it's like you know when they're trying to figure out how they can sneak up on nero's ship and everything and and, and they're all together like on the view screen and Chekhov comes in and is like oh if we hide in in titan's moons you know if we t- we hide in this kind of gaseous planet like you know we'll be undetectable and sort of this really nice moment where you're just watching this you're seeing the whole kind of classic crew together and it's like 
it's just nice, right? It is just a nice feeling to see the Enterprise crew, like, be the Enterprise crew. And and it's just a nice, like, part of this movie to kind of see, like, yes, even if they're new actors and a new generation, it's the Enterprise crew. It's a really nice thing to see. Yeah, and then and then, and then it all, you know, ends with, again, in a way that I actually think is a much more interesting, because in, like, a Star Wars-y way, it would be just, like, you know, they destroy the ship. And I, and I thought what made it, like new and modern but still trekky is that it's not like they blow up the ship but rather that the the red matter um ignites in the ship and it tear and it opens up a black hole and then that tears the ship apart and even that 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 kirk even through all of this and even even with spock's kind of like you know questions about it like he offers nero compassion like he offers like hey like you know we'll take you in for your crime yeah, and that that led to maybe my favorite Nero line in the entire movie. It's such a badass villain line where he's like, I would rather suffer the destruction of Romulus a thousand times than to accept assistance from you. And and, 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 like, and I love that. God Kirk, damn. And, and Kirk's immediate like, all right, like we can we can definitely like uh Right, yeah. I mean I, I think that just that whole exchange is badass. But again, going back to Nero as a character, like the thing that has informed his hatred so much. He hates them so much that he would rather go through that again. That he's like, he's like, no, fuck you guys. And and it's like, you know, the 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 villain accepting death is not a new. It's a trope, but like, I just think I just always remember that. I'm like, man, it's not even him accepting death. It's just the fact that like, like, listen, man, like, I just I I can't stand the sight of you. Just like, well, it's also like, again, it goes back to that point. Like the 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 villains in this movie really have nothing to lose. It's not like they have a like they have a goal, but it's not like like they're but like I said, their lives are effectively over and they're just enacting hatred at that mm-hmm. point yeah for so sure. so that all that stuff is great and the way they escape is thrilling and like all that works oh yeah um, and and, yeah. and and again this is a very star trek thing where it's like they blow up the thing but like their ship's getting sucked to the black hole kirk is like scotty get us out of here and then scotty's like well the only thing i can do is if i eject this thing maybe we can blow things up and we can blow up the warp drive and it'll blow us out of here i think do we get I, do we get i'm giving her all she's got i think we get one of those and we there. do get, yeah. yeah we do get like give, yeah, give it it's all like, she's got. <laughs> it's like, well, you gotta give it more, Scotty. Like that sort of thing. So they they eventually like, yeah, the Scotty ejects like the warp drive. They blow it up and they get boosted out of there. And you know, it's it's everybody's commended for their work. Yeah, it's very nice. Yeah, how did like the movie just kind of ends with like they're in the um. Well, there's they a couple- get well there there is a really good ending, but you're right. Like the 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 standard ending is like Tyler Perry and everybody else like says congratulations. Pike gives the. uh you know, he's like, oh, like, okay. I relieve duty to you, blah, blah, blah. Right, but, the, but the, but the, sorry, Pike's, go ahead. Pike's like confined to a wheelchair now. So like, um, so he gives up the, you know, again, timeline differences. He gives up the Enterprise command to Kirk way earlier than he's supposed to mm-hmm. in timeline. So now they're the crew together. Uh, we also get the, the big scene between uh, Quinto and Nimoy. Yeah, that, that, that's like the, the real, the highlight of the end is where, finally. Yeah. yeah, it's like uh, where it's like he thinks it's like uh, young Spock thinks it's his father, but he turns around and it's Spock Prime. And he's like, mm. Mm. That's uh, sweet. And then because like the idea is like, you know, old Spock is like going to go. Well, first, like Spock, our Spock, Zachary Quinto Spock is like, I should join like the whole what's it called the uh like the oh. relocation and uh, of the of the vulcans and then 
the implication being is that old Spock is like, no, you're where you belong. I'm here now, so I might as well just do it. So yeah, like, and that's like a lot. You, there's two, like, there's like, I can't be two places once. Well, you can now because there's yeah. two of us. But the, the the whole bit where it's like, like, why didn't you come? You know how? Yeah. Like, how did you? How did you? Oh, like, uh, this is great. Yeah. Like, like, how did you like convince Kirk not to tell me about you? Like, this seems like it was important. It's like, well, I I kind of implied that there would be like you know <laughs> like a galaxy you know, uh, big galaxy consequences of, of like, you know, time travel nonsense or whatever, whatever the term was, I forget like the, um, the paradoxes. Like he's like, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I implied like galaxy destroying paradoxes. He, he's yeah. like, I, he's like, I, I said that. And then like, and then, and, um, young Spock is, so you lied. And he's like, ah, oh, but he's like, I, I implied. <laughs> yes. I love that. There's like a, again, kind of going back to like older Trek is like, there's a nice little bit, like that same bit that Savick, and Spock had oh but that Ra- but Ra- again yeah yeah but Ra- if you watch if you've been following all of those movies like that is and even the series like that is where Spock would be at that yes. point in his life like Absolutely. he he's definitely Spock but he's got that 10 percent in him that he's like yeah I'm, I'm gonna bullshit a little bit on this like yeah like there's so in 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 that moment just spoke so much more to me now that I had watched all the older stuff because that is where he would be um yeah and then there's also because there's that scene because I forgot there's that scene before because they do the scene with like the big, you know, the the metal ceremony and, and Kirk gets the command of the Enterprise. And then we cut to Spock watching from the rafters and he has the little line where it's like all thrusters full on full, which I don't know if you know, was an improvised line. Mm-hmm. Um, I do. Yeah, because like it was supposed to be just a silent, like reverent, like he's considering like he's watching like, you know, the crew come together. And then it was Nimoy who's like jj if you want if you want if you can allow me one more take i think i have an addition that's really nice and abram said it was really nice because the first thing in the next scene is they talk about thrusters so it like it kind of flowed really well but then yeah the movie ends with the enterprise crew all together on the enterprise going off into you know the the explore strange new worlds we get old spock saying the the intro to the series we get a nice little uh jacchino version of the original alexander courage theme it kind of makes you happy yeah yeah, and then I again, like I said, I I'm a big fan of the movie. I I um I, I think I like it even more now that we've even like dis- dissected it and talked about it. There's like all these little details that I didn't that I'm still picking up on about it. And you know, and even at the end of the day, I I, I think it's it's just it's just a solid like space action movie. And I know that like some some of that can be contentious with like how other people feel star trek would be and i would actually argue that point more so for the next two because i'm like you i do like beyond um but i just feel like that there's a level of respect and finesse and the fact that i think the fact that there is a different flavor to it plays into everything that the movie is doing Mm -hmm. like you know what i mean i think the fact that you know, that there is like some of this like new legacy, like time travel stuff going on is like that justifies some of like the, maybe the new way in which it's being presented to you visually and dynamically. Um, because one of the things I will say without like spoiling too much of the next ones is that some of the freshness and the novelty of how good some of these people are kind of wears off as it goes to like, I mean, just to put my cards on the table, I think this is the best that Quinto and Pine are in in the role. Like they're good, but 
they feel the most comfortable and effective in this one. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I, I think for my money, I think that the movie, the movie just works for me. And uh, I think it delivers. Yeah. Like I said, like I have, it's just, it's, it's a little taken aback just becoming more of a Trek fan and seeing all the little quibbles I can have. And I think it had to work through them in this discussion, but this is a very good, very entertaining movie is very watchable, very exciting and funny and just again they capture these characters so well in just a slightly new light that makes it so connected to what you love about the original series at least what i love about the original series and i i'm very interested again for different reasons to go back to these next two like i have remember having very high marks for beyond and i think what's funny is going back and i I will talk about this a little more next time uh, I definitely had a higher opinion of, of Into Darkness at the time I saw it because I was still a, a virgin Star Trek fan. Like, I didn't really know that much. And the more, and, and really sort of like, not even, a, I don't want to say like a new movie fan, but still like, I was still in the honeymoon phase of just like enjoying movies to that degree where it was just like, oh, I, I don't know really Star Trek. It was fun. It was entertaining. And I think going back to it will be very interesting having known a lot more about Abr- what happened to Abrams after that and just knowing a little bit more about like just filmmaking in general and, and blockbuster filmmaking, just it'll be very interesting to revisit that film. So I'm excited yeah. to kind of go through the rest of these Star Treks. And it's still been a blast to go through all these films. And I think Star Trek was a really good choice for us. I'm, I'm we, still enjoying this. One thing we didn't actually talk about all that much that I think we should is the Spock Ahura relationship. We had mentioned that they teased it, but then eventually it's like, you know, they reveal like that is something that it was going on this whole time. Um, and yeah, I, I just didn't know if you had any thoughts on it. I think it's like an interesting kind of wrinkle in in everything, but it's also kind of like, I don't know if it's explored enough to be worthy of like any other type of conversation. I think, I think like, that's really the thing about it. I think that because they're, they're, you know, this is again, something that was taken from some concepts from the original series that were never really truly explored and some early, early episode stuff that there kind of was a hint that they kind of dropped over time. It's just one of those things where I think the concept itself isn't bad. And I think adding that wrinkle, you know, it it does modernize things to kind of have a little more interpersonal relationships with, with, with these types of characters that you didn't really have. Like, you know, like, again, like you have that triumvirate in the original series of Kirk, Spock, McCoy, and then you have their interactions, but you never really get the sense of how those characters actually interact. So I think adding some of those wrinkles in theory is good. I just don't know if the movie trilogy as a whole ever really goes deep enough into it and explores it in a well enough way uh, to, I mean, to, to, really, get, to really make it effective. They, they get some good moments and some good humor out of it over the course of the trilogy, but and maybe it is just one of those things where it's like, that's the status quo of this trilogy is like, they are a couple. So it's not bad, but you're right. It's not, you, they never delve into it enough for it to be like an effective relationship that you get invested in. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, I would agree with that. Um, But yeah, so the the main thing about talking about the sort of after that this movie was this movie was a ginormous success for Paramount, uh, even better than their expectations. Uh, opened up with a seventy nine million dollar weekend, which fact was um, the opening weekend gross of seventy nine million was higher than Undiscovered Country or Final Frontier or Insurrection or Nemesis made in their entire runs essentially like entire us runs i should say um 
And eventually this movie eclipsed uh, all other Star Trek movies in terms of box office gross um, with, uh, you know, uh, $385 million worldwide, which is you know, more so than any other Star Trek movie up to that point. And reviewers love the movie, you know, kind of, uh, you know, highest rated Star Trek movie in terms of just the, you know, uh, out of 10 score on average on stuff like Metacritic and Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, just people love the story, love the casting, love the humor, love sort of the action fonts and, 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 and Abrams directing. People just fell head over heels for this movie at the time. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, yeah. And, yeah, and it, still has, it still has that legacy and it still has sort of a, 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 a fondly remembered element of just being sort of like a really good movie. And, and to an extent, like, again, a wider pop culture coming out party once again for Star Trek and sort of boosting Star Trek into kind of a new era that we now have, you know, the Picard show and Discovery and we're going to get a, a Pike series, not with this, this Pike, but the original, you know, Pike character and everything like that. Like, um, and, you know, to the point where, again, like that Quentin Tarantino movie, that's not <laughs> happening, but that those, those discussions were happening. And all of it is kind of based off the fact that this Star Trek movie boosted everything. We got new comic runs. We got new video games. We got like, this was such a boost to the whole Star Trek IP, to use that word. Uh, and it, the effects of this movie are still being felt just within the Star Trek franchise today, not just what we've talked about with kind of the, the wider scope of everything. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I just remembered it was like one of those things where um, it uh, people liked it. People dug it. I dug it. And uh, that's that's where I'm at. And I will also say this is the first ever Star Trek movie to win an Academy Award. Yeah. It won Best Makeup. So good for them. Good for the makeup team. They were they were very very good. Great. Um, yeah. So that's it for this movie. And next time, it was, we we've kind of teased it enough on this movie, but we're gonna be uh, heading off. We're gonna take another trek, uh, and it'll be a trek into darkness. Um, we're gonna we're gonna meet what his, what's his name John John Harrison. What was what was the? I, I think it, it is John Harrison. Yeah, John, John Harrison, uh, who is definitely De- not. De- any, who's, yeah, he's definitely just John Harrison. Not any other famous Star Wars character that you would know. Yep. Um, we are we're gonna. I'm very interested to re- rewatch this movie. I'm very yeah, I haven't rewatched it in a long time. So I I, yeah. I, 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 my opinion on this movie has changed so much over the years, and I think it'll be interesting to discuss the the deeper the deeper flaws. Because I know we're going to talk about its flaws uh, of Star Trek in the darkness. Uh, but the next time you hear us on this mic, we're also going to be talking about a movie with a lot of flaws. Uh, when we go back to the Pirates franchise, we're outside the original trilogy now. And we are going to the first uh, Jack Sparrow-centric sequel. Um, time to get young again. Fountain of Youth, as it were. Um, we are going to talk about uh, the fourth Pirates of the Caribbean movie. It'll be uh, 2011's uh, Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. All right. Looking forward to it. I'm, I'm having fun still. This was a fun episode. I loved hearing you laugh a lot. Uh, so 
uh, fun times on Bonzilla. So plug away Bonzilla pod at gmail.com, twitter.com slash Bonzilla 007. Like and subscribe, iTunes and SoundCloud. Leave us a review. We appreciate, again, want to say you appreciate your patience with us at the beginning of this year. A lot was going on with the both of us. So uh, I know we've been patiently waiting for these reviews, but we're uh, we're still here and we're still kicking. So thank you again for the following and, and, uh, and listening. Yeah, absolutely. All right, everybody. Until next time, you heard it happen. You might have saw it happen if you were watching the timeline on your iPhone thing or on SoundCloud. Don't tell us it didn't happen because it did happen. We'll talk to you later. (laughs) Bye-bye. Hey, you better mind your manners. Relax, cupcake. It was a joke.